got a puncture and I was like, it's fine, I'll I'll call the garage and, and then I went out to look at the tire to, you know, get the get the sizes and tell the garage what I needed. And I looked at the other one and I was like, well also that one's got no tread. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one slick and one puncture, yeah. Yeah, it's like actually we're gonna need two. Or to be a service and they say, Yeah, your tires, you're gonna need three new ones. Well, a few years ago, it's like, yeah, there's plenty of tread. They're just starting to perish because you don't do enough miles. I used to That's do fun. that. I used to buy secondhand, um, secondhand good tires that still had yeah. a good, good chunk of tread. And uh, I went to get some swap around, and the guy basically looked at them. And went, I'm not putting those on, mate. <laughs> there's plenty of tread on them. Yeah, but that dot number there, that, that means that they are eight years old. I'm not putting those on. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but you have this. So my my last car, which I loved and was a a four by four, and I, I I only owned a four by four because I used to work in film and it was essential. Um, but it um it had no miles on it because it had been bought by a farmer for his wife. Sort of, you know, you need a four by four, darling, and then she had driven it to the shops for milk, and so it had no miles. And it was wonderful. And it was a 2006 model and it was great. But they stopped making it in this country, which meant that you couldn't get the parts anymore. So when the wing mirror came off last year, to fix it would have cost more than the car. Yep. <laughs> yeah, my, my same with my first car. My first, ca my first car after I passed my test. Technically not my first car. My first car I ended up in the Lombard. That's a long story. Um, was it one My first car to pass the test. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, at the time, I was living in Bournemouth, and I, I was living in an apartment there, underground parking, which is great. And kind of you know, a few days after, I'm sort of had it, and I'm kind of going, "It's always a bit of a petrol smell near the car." It's, it's an underground car park, so that's what it is. And then I kind of thought, "Yeah, it's not quite right." I took it into the local ATS nearest the school I was working at, and then I had a call saying, "Right, your uh, your brakes, first of all, they um." You probably shouldn't be driving this. And I don't just bought it. It was like, ah. And they said, uh, yeah, and your petrol tank, uh, it's, uh, it's got rather a lot of holes in it, more than it should have. <laughs> what? Oh. I said, yeah, I said, uh, we can, oh, there's a little bit of a problem as well. It was a, it was a Vauxhall Cavalier estate. So that kind of, sort of dates it. Um, beautiful car, huge boot. You could throw all sorts of stuff in the boot. It's uh, just a massive boot. And I was like, okay, yeah, this, this particular model, um, they didn't make that many estates and they had a different fuel tank for this particular year to the rest of them. <laughs> okay, so it's just like ding, 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 prices are going up. But uh, luckily they were, they were a nice kind garage and they managed to find a second hand one locally. Um, got it delivered and fitted. So that only cost me 90 quid plus labor. That's pretty good. Only, yeah, not a huge amount of money at the time, but... I mean, I think nowadays you're, you're lucky for 90 quid on anything on your car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, throw your tires up. Yeah, it's nearly 90 quid now. Actually, no, I, well, yeah, I was going to say, I had a tire replaced on the Duke a while ago, and that was that was 108 quid. Oh. Um, all in. I mean, it's a big, it's a big tire, so... A lot but, of the time, it, it's it's not even down to the size of the tire. It's just the, the rarity of it or the, or the scarcity mm -hmm. of, of use. You know, they've got 
So they've got 15 of them on the shelf of different brands and stuff that so it drives the price down. But they've got that one they've got to yeah. order in. It's ridiculous. I, I had a, yeah, a we... previous manager had a um, several holes in his fuel tank, and uh, he was he was putting a fiver in every week and doing the same kind of couple of miles, and it was just to put more and more in more frequently and just hadn't made that connection that you know most of the fuel was he was putting it in it was coming straight back out the bottom and he was just doing so few miles that he just didn't realize but you know. running on empty the whole time yeah, basically oh. yeah i had um i had a fiat panda that i uh, i bought uh years ago and it was bought off a neighbor and it was it was 250 quid for the entire car and it it had always been serviced in the same local garage so it had various buttons that had fixed things that had broken that were no longer really legal so it could only be serviced in this one garage because they understood that that button on the door did the windscreen wipers and this button here did that thing <laughs> it was i'm not sure it was legal and in the end it, it it sprung a leak in its oil while i was on the road and the oil light did not come on and the car just sort of <laughs> consumed its own engine and was they were like do you want to do you want to try and sell it i was like it was 250 quid just scrap it take it be gone yep. <laughs> doing me a favor getting rid of it yeah I, I, my, my old golf was like that it, it was uh it was a mark ii golf so it was falling apart as it was but like bodywork wise it was amazing it was still absolutely solid but just everything else stopped working on it so we'd already had to like bypass half the electrics for the lights and then bypass all the switching because all the the levers and everything went so the um the indicators would work but none of the the light buttons or anything would so they were all on missile switches on the dash nice <laughs> so I'd, I'd a like a push button to to flash the headlights or like a miss first missile switch to put the side lights on and then another one to put the main beam on um, so did, did how that. into how into it did you get? Were you sitting there going launch missiles and prepare? For... <laughs> <laughs> well, it, we, we'd upgraded the because uh, it was it was just the bog standard two lights initially, and then I, I'd, I'd found a uh, one of the GTI grills on eBay with the two Hellas spotlights, <laughs> and then stuck the ridiculous, slightly not legal, uh, really high power lamps in them. So I basically had about 400 <laughs> watts of lights on the front. The one that blinds anyone who's driving towards you, no matter what kind of time of day it is, those yeah. ones, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so because we had them on the missile switch, any time, like I, I had a friend driving in front of me in a Yaris, and he, he had his headlights on, and I he, uh, he rang me up, and he said, I put the spot on, I see how bright it is. And then I could see that my lights were brighter than his round the side of his car. <laughs> the, the wash over was enough. And, uh, <laughs> But it was it's that kind of guide you home. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. And it's like it was it was the you know, engage you know, engage daylight mode. Click. And then just poof. <laughs> that so it didn't go the hole of... through. I mean that's when you know they're bright. It burns. I, the there was a bit thing. of paint peeling off the back of his car, yeah. But it ended up that the, the other stalk had gone for the windscreen wipers, so I, I had to bypass that and just run a, another flick switch straight through from the motor from the uh, the windscreen wipers so I'd, I'd like sort of reach across the dash click the switch send the wipers going and then turn it off again quickly so it didn't just loop around <laughs> that was again that was yeah, I can, well I, I mean when i was young the the, the wipers was the only stalk well wipers and indicators um you didn't have the lights the lights weren't on a stalk mm. of their own and the um high beam 
was a switch on the floor. Next to your foot. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. I yeah. I tried once. It wasn't that long ago. It was a, I think it was a Renault of some sort, and it borrowed it to move house, and it had the key was a credit card. Yeah. And you, you put the credit card in, and the handbrake was a pull tab on yep. the dash which nice. automatically went off as soon as you hit the biting point there was no way to do like sitting ready to go at a traffic light you were just gone it was great for hill starts and useless for anything else it's a terrifying car to drive like, was it a laguna or something like that like a big i don't i don't remember it was quite a big i mean i borrowed it to move house so it must have been it was quite a big one but i think the laguna had it and yeah. the van i don't know about any of the smaller ones I don't know if they've kept... I, I mean, I haven't seen it in any car ever since, so I <laughs> don't know that it lasted as a, a design choice. It's interesting to about their, their credit card, though, because I, I know you say it's the key, but uh, a friend of mine recently bought the Japanese import, and that's got a little credit card slot under the steering column. Oh. A part of like the Japanese laws for... Um, it's basically like a road tax type thing that you've got to put in, uh, you know, sort of a valid card for, for being able to drive on the road. Ooh. I suppose, yeah. like, as a kind of, if you get pulled over and any fines, they're kind of justified. It's like you can definitely pay it. It's the kind of... That sort of thing, yeah. He <laughs> mentioned something, I, I haven't actually looked into it myself, but he was mentioning something about, you know, like if, if your money runs out on your car, your car basically just stops. Right. You kind of bypass it and stuff for... for UK roads and things, but yeah, it seems well, like you have this. I mean, but you have to. Uh, Canada has, I don't know about other places, but there's a couple of places, countries in the world that if you travel to, because I went to Canada a couple of years ago, I took three months off and went training around Canada for three months, which is lovely. But um, the visa I was on, which was sort of it was two years and I could come in and go as many times as I liked, and it you have to have two thousand pounds in your bank account before they will allow you in, and you have to have proof of that as you enter the country. Wow. And so wow. I had to go and get like a certified bank balance printed off, but certified by a bank manager as well that I could then show to immigration to say, I have enough money to stay in your country, contribute to your country and leave your country. And they will literally put you back on a plane if you haven't got it. Wow. I mean, it, it, yeah, it makes it makes total sense. Hmm. But it's uh... I've heard of that for yeah, trying to emigrate. Mm, no, it's yeah, short term. Some some countries have it for mm. sort of the shorter term traveling visas as well. Yeah, hey, didn't know that. I mm. suppose there's nothing stopping you from going in with two grand in your account, fully certified, and then spending it day one. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or going in, putting two grand in, get the certified, take two grand out after you've got the certified <laughs> copy. Yeah, um, just borrow it for a day and then go yeah. away. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Interesting. The things we learn on Maker's Waffle. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> this is this is why we like talking to people because we learn we learn stuff. All and sorts of things. Tangent of you know starting off with random bits of car stuff and then ending up on. I mean, I, I feel like it's a complete tangent, but I want to share my favourite weird piece of trivia that I I I just. I'd say oh, I discovered it go. recently, but I probably discovered it a while ago, and I just it's still my favourite. So pirates did wear eye patches, but do you know why? Yeah, I think I do. But then maybe I maybe I've fallen into the trap of. So kind of, it's yeah, to do with the it. fact that you were going from very bright 
top deck down into the dark and mm. so you had one eye accustomed to the dark and one eye accustomed to the light so you could you flipped yeah. your eye patch when you went below deck and you had that eye was already ready for i think that's fantastic yeah. <laughs> they, they did a, a test for that on mythbusters as well to see if the uh if, if that was a, a, a you know a valid hypothesis as to you know, for why whether or not it would work and they, they did show it was it was a definite improvement for, uh, yeah. for some people which i just think it's a really it's a really interesting way around that problem. Yeah. You know, because obviously now we just all wear head torches or have, you know, powered lighting or, you know, things like that. But... Or we'd have goggles. We'd well, have it's, night it's goggles. in the military, yeah. It's something that's taught in the military. Because you can often, yeah, for example, if you're kind of maybe on a patrol somewhere and, you, and there's a vehicle coming along at night and, you know, it's got bright headlights, you can usually see that something like that is going to happen. But what causes you, what you don't want is that kind of, you might, you might be camouflaged and hidden away. You don't want that headlight to kind of get rid of your, your night vision, which would have taken you 20 minutes to three hours to kind of you know, really establish. So one of the things they sort of teach you is to, is to close one eye. And it's normally, if, unless you need, you know, you can use it, it's normally your, your shooting eye, so the, the eye that you would aim with. So you're kind of sort of taught to kind of keep that closed and then you know, keep your other eye open. So although you'll get stopped, you can see what's happening. Um, when, so if obviously if the light stays on you, you know you're in trouble and you know, it doesn't matter. So you just you know, presumably start shooting. Um, but otherwise, you kind of then your other eye will adjust back. But you've you've still got one eye, your good eye, your your shooting eye, ready kind still of with that the, between yeah. the two. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're still think, technically doing this today. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I don't, I've, I've never seen it, but I kind of surmised that if one eye is already adjusted to night vision, because I think it's a brain thing rather than an eye thing. Although to this, obviously there's it's a, a, a bit of both of your, your your iris and how expanded that is, um, that your your night vision will return quicker if one eye is already adjusted. Okay, I guess because it's sort of that that loop is kind of the information's yeah. being sent to your brain, which is then going, "This is what we need to do." Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I think I might be wrong. The, on that. There is no, there, there is definitely some because uh, I know with things like lighting design that we do with work, um, things like the blue frequency, so the, the blue end of the visible light spectrum will dilate your pupils and things. So um, I know that there there is an element of the the actual uh, photoreceptors themselves. Because you've obviously got your rod and cone cells, so there'll, there'll be a, a biological element as well as, as well as the neurological element. But yeah, I, so I, I mean, your, definite your cones merit. are generally at the back of the eye, um, whereas the rods extend much further over the retina. So, mm. of course, when you're in a bright light, your iris is closed down, so light is mostly focused only on the back of the eye. Um, this is also why. Uh, another thing they sort of teach in the military if you are kind of out somewhere you're what you want to be using more is the rods rather than the cones so rather than looking directly at an object so if you're in the kind of you know, you, you're kind of you, you're walking sneaking around somewhere and you kind of you think you've seen something don't try and look at it look to the side so that the more sensitive rods without the cones because of course where there's cones there's not as many rods Per unit so the, the rod cells and cone cells de detect luminosity or detect color. Yeah, the difference. In so and, and it's the cones that do the color. So if you actually use the kind of predominantly 
sort of rod heavy areas which had been, had been the side of the eye so if you look away from the thing you're trying to look at you'll be detecting it on kind of the rod area assuming of course that your uh, iris is dilated does this sort of explain why it's really easy to get distracted by the thing out of your corner of your eye rather than the thing you're focusing on that sort of i don't know Ooh, that's, a, that's a very good question <laughs> Because you're seeing it with a different part of the eye, or yeah. you're processing it in a different way. Yeah. Oh, and we need someone. I don't know. We an optician's not quite. What's an ocular Optom ocular optometrist? optometrist? Yeah. 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 I do. I do know that, that uh, for sinners, we're we're all spectacular. Um, <laughs> if if they are not present and you need to focus on something, if you create a very small, you can do, just do it with your hand. Uh, and just focus through the one eye, um, mm. because generally the it's the uh, distortion in the the lens of your eye that's the problem. Why we need glasses. So if you reduce that down to a very small pinpoint and look through that, you generally be able to focus on something that you're trying to look at. So if, you, if you've not got your glasses, you make that little pinhole to, to see through. You'll be able to focus better because you, you're kind of so reducing the. I am a very recent glasses wearer. I only uh, joined the club last summer. Um, and it's, um, I, mine is astigmatism, which so. is, yeah. Um, but it, it, so I've been managing fine. They've said actually I've had this astigmatism for quite a few years. I'm just tiring my eyes out. So I can, yeah. and now it's great because I take my glasses off and I just, it's like I'm drunk. Everything's <laughs> just got that slight shift That's to it. Was. <laughs> I was like, I can bring it back, you know, give me two minutes without my glasses. I can pull it all back into focus pretty quick. But it just that first couple of minutes, I'm like, oh, it's a little buzz going on here. <laughs> I find because I, I, I don't need them for anything up to the end of my hand, basically. Um, mm. Anything with any distance, the further away it gets, the more kind of fuzzy it gets. So generally, if I, if I wake up and just forget to put my glasses on, I, I can kind of cope. I'm, I'm not too bad, you know, sort of. Uh, I just kind of forget that I'm not wearing them and, and everything's a bit fuzzy. I stand a bit closer and that kind of thing. But then when I take them off, I just, it just feels completely and utterly useless. Just yeah. Everything's blurry until I put them back on. It's like, oh, that's what it all looks like. <laughs> but that, it's that amazing how quickly it shifts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of... it really is. Yeah, I'm not, I'm yeah. not good close up anymore. And my eyes have changed a lot over the years. Yeah, they, they do with age. I've got to the point now where it's kind of, you know, the muscles in the eyes stiffening up a bit. So it's kind of quite a few changes. In fact, I, need, I probably need to go and get my eyes tested again because I think I'm possibly needing a new prescription because it's been two years, I think, um, since I had them done last. I think it was during the 2020, kind of the first lot of easing of the restrictions that I had them last done. And I, I know, for example, cause I, I keep my watch on all night because it, it, it kind of monitors kind of sort of sleep and heart rate and things. I thought like, I'm trying to sort of, yeah, if I'm, like, what time is it? And you say, like, it's like without glasses on, trying to work out time. It's trying to do plus things. But I'm not, I'm not too bad with distance. So I can kind of, I could drive without my glasses, but I wouldn't know what speed I was doing. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's the, that the that's what you'll tell the officer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's when I get points on my license. Yeah, for not being safe to drive. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you can see them anyway. 
but it was the uh the distance thing with the, the driving that kind of prompted me to to get mine because a lot of everything i do daily is all at arm's length so i'm, I'm all right but it was, it was that kind of like is that is that a car or a pickup coming towards me oh no that's a truck no okay <laughs> but interestingly we said about um the getting older my uh, stepdad had um the laser eye surgery at one point oh. he'd, he'd reached an age where the, the distance had started to to go earlier on and then the um close-up had started to go as well so what they did is to um because you know at the point of having to shift between two different pairs so they um they corrected his eyes individually so he, he had one corrected for short distance and one corrected okay. for long distance uh. so your brain averages out then so you it can uh. it, it can change the dominance depending on what you're looking at I mean, so I also feel like he on. should be closing one eye and the other quite a lot as well if he wants to switch between the two. That's exactly what he does. <laughs> so if he really needs to pay attention to something far away, he'll close the the, the good close-up eye and just focus with the, yeah. the one that can see far away. And yeah. I've, but it's funny you're shifting so much over, your, over as you get older, isn't it? Because my friend had laser eye surgery and, and is now, I mean, probably 10 years down the line from having LASIK, her eyes, she's getting to the point where she needs glasses again. Yeah. And so it's sort of, it's not that permanent fix. It's just, we can fix them for now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, I've always avoided it. I mean, I've had, I've had glasses since I was four, mm. I think. So I've always had glasses. But then I think it was, it was probably about, well, probably about 2008. And I, was, I only had one one prescription yes yeah, so i only needed kind of yeah, the one pair of glasses then about 2008 i went for a kind of eye test and i basically i thought i i'm going to try contact lenses again because i tried them in 93 94 and because of where i was working i could i couldn't there was so much dust but i couldn't oh. put them in till like sunday night so i basically gave up on them but then i went so back 2008 i went to the opticians and basically said look I want to try contact lenses again, um, mostly because then I can get some nice sunglasses without having to spend a fortune on getting prescription lenses built into them. Mm -hmm. And I can get close fitting one. I can have I can have multiple pairs, and I don't have to kind of worry about it. And I had my test, and then the optician turned to me and said, "Mr. Pugh, why do you think you need glasses? Because <laughs> uh, I've had them since I was four. And basically, so my eyes had reached a point." In 2008 where they they were changing but they, they changed in a way meant i basically enough. didn't need glasses anymore they basically said so I, straight away i went to the sort of your know, local boots i think it was and just kind of bought some really cheap wraparound glasses it was just like, <laughs> and then of course they started getting worse again and then, and then kind of oh, probably 20 well 2013 it's like yeah you need reading glasses as well as your distance glasses and your and sorting out. So that's when I started going through two pairs of glasses. Uh, and then eventually yeah, my... it was like, yeah, that's a bit too much of a fuss. So yeah, I'll spend out, get the verifocals. My uh, my husband's had glasses since he was two. He's a long-term glasses wearer. And he tried contacts at one point and he realised that he'd worked so many glasses-based mannerisms. 
into his everyday functionality. Like he talks with his glasses. So he, you know, emphasize instead of hand talking, he does glasses talking. And he sort of pushes them up his nose and he adjusts them. And he, he does glasses talking. And he said just it didn't work with contacts because he was still doing the mannerisms, but the glasses weren't there. <laughs> see some empty phones. Yeah. <laughs> so he's yeah, back with his glasses. I've got because I've, I've, I've got quite a wide head. So I've actually got little sort of very sort of dips in the sort of side of my head and behind my ears where the glasses squeeze so much they've actually sort of deformed my head oh. so it's like and kind of the pads are the, the pads are on the sort of glass on the bridge of your nose as well yeah that's as well yeah so, i couldn't i couldn't get used to the uh, the indents in the side of my head i went back to them and i went you've got to pull them out and they went they're going to slip down your nose i was like that's fine i cannot take that <laughs> yeah i can do that <laughs> <laughs> i can't take the holes in the side of my head i will push my glasses up there was a um, was Oakley did I think did um, a pair of glasses years ago, like the, the sunglasses that would be absolutely ideal for me now with you know bald head type thing, uh, and they were it was just two two strips of plastic that went over the top of the head, and then they connected to the connected to the glasses at the top. Yes, but you can't get them at all now. So oh. now I've not, because they were out, like, believe it or not, I used to have long hair. So they were out around the time I had long hair and I couldn't get them. And then now I'm thinking, <laughs> I wish I'd bought them. I mean, I feel like we've got to know somebody who can 3D print that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> totally, totally good. And then can make the prescription as well. It's, yeah. It's, uh... I always wanted I always wanted some Oakleys. I've, I've never had a pair of Oakleys, but I always wanted some Oakleys. I, I got yeah. some years ago. Well, I was 14 and we'd gone to Ibiza. And there was a guy, as you generally get in those kind of places, there was a guy walking up and down the beach with the, the full stack of of folk leaves. Genuine Oakleys. Was yeah. it in his in his coat? Just sort of. Yeah, yeah, it was that kind of. It was it was that sort of style. And um, he'd been up and down and up and down, and I was like, "Oh, they're really really cool." And but no, I'm not. You know, maybe towards the end of the holiday, if I've got enough cash left. You know, so. And it got to like the last day and he, he basically took his own pair off and went, look, I've been coming to you all week. Have these ones. And then walked off. So I didn't even didn't even pay for them, just handed me them. No it's idea if they were actually moment. Oakleys or Folkleys, but it was just that, that moment of this guy who'd been bugging me all week and then he finally caved before I did. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's a new level of bartering is is just being more stubborn than the person who's trying to sell you something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I did I always find some fancy Oakleys, but the cost of prescription fittings on them is just I mean they're they're expensive enough, genuine ones anyway. Oh, but yeah. then throw a prescription fitting on them. I was finding some like the the original M frame. Oh, some of them, I mean some of the Oakleys from the eighties, I mean. They're so naff now, but they looked so cool back then. Okay, they come back guess, in fashion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of them, some of them are, are yeah, timeless. Yeah, like the standard Ray-Ban. Mm. I mean, yeah, Oakleys had their own version of that. Yeah, we, I can't yeah. called now frog, frog or frog skin or something like that. Um, I'm sure somebody will correct. Probably can't be bothered to look it up. But yeah, they, they were they were a classic, a classic kind of sort of style, and they'll always be kind of yeah. Look good. I mean, so, yeah, yeah, some of the big, wide, wide ones. Yeah, I loved them. 
I think, I mean, because they, they brought out the, when the Matrix came out, they had the sort of nose clip ones, didn't they? They didn't yeah. have any arms, which were, I, I think yeah, from reports, were absolutely horrendous to wear, but <laughs> just looked so cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because I, 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 again, I, I ended up with a knockoff pair of those because this is this was pre-glasses as well. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I did have a, like a, a cheap, because they, they were about 350 quid for the proper, yeah. like the, the proper Morpheus style ones. But the you know there were like 10, 15 quid eBay specials from you know Bangladesh or something that were you know kind of close enough. Uh, but yeah, they they were really uncomfortable to wear for more than about five minutes. <laughs> it was basically it was just a spring clamp that would go across your nose. You just wear it as you're strolling around in your leather coat and then abandon it two minutes later. Yeah, pretty much. I did have the, there was, uh, I, I was in Oxford when I was sort of 16, 17. I didn't see The Matrix when it first came out. I saw it, I saw it in the cinema last year because they re-released it and it was great. But when it first came out, remember when you used to go on school trips on a coach and there was a TV like at the front of the coach yeah. that was about this big and they put on The Matrix. And so I was watching The Matrix sort of five metres away on a screen this big thinking, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And uh, then I was in Oxford and there was a market in Oxford and there was a leather coat stall and they had full length black leather coats. And I were like, I mean, they weren't leather. They were 30 quid. They definitely weren't leather. But I was 16 <laughs> and it was amazing. So I bought myself my Matrix coat and thought I looked really cool and was just boiling at all times. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but I look great. Oh. I used to, yeah, I used to I teach a lad who, whenever we had non-uniform days, he would come in 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 either a matrix style leather coat or a um, full length kind of RAF coat. Yeah, the really thick, heavy ones. Mm. Even in the summer. And it'd be like, yeah, it'd be there, like melting away, but yeah, you have to look cool. It was a style. You <laughs> don't yeah, abandon style yeah. for, for weather. Definitely <laughs> <laughs> yeah. style of a function. Mm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he'd, yeah. He'd, attempt to, he'd attempt to wear it on non, on uniform days as well, kind of you know, just this kind of outside coat, even though the rules were no outside coats. Yeah, you know, when you were inside, it's like take it off. <laughs> you threatened to sort of confiscate it and kind of quickly go, oh yeah, okay, yeah. You always pushed it though, didn't you? With uniform, it was always that sort of what can I get away with? And you try like. I think it was scarfs were the thing when I was at school. It was like there was a school scarf and it was bright blue. And I, I went to a boarding school for a couple of years and there was this bright blue and yellow, not striped like, you know, nice blocks lengthways. It was like blue with like two thin yellow stripes running all the way along the length. It was hideous. And so it was like the small rebellion was, can you get away with wearing your own scarf for a whole day? <sighs> Yeah, I've got I've got a theory, but I, I, in my uh, I think third year of teaching, I started teaching. It was, it was a pretty tough school. My first full time teaching post, and I'd gone for an interview at another school, kind of not that far away. And we were just talking. It was it was it was nice to have a day out. You know, it's nice to escape from the, the madhouse that school was. And I kind of just having this conversation with the teacher just in kind of yeah just a, a natural conversation it wasn't the interview part it was just kind of a we'd had a look around and just sort of chatting and i in the process of about five minutes i formulated this theory which has stuck with me ever since and the theory basically is that all 
teenagers particularly want to rebel in some way and they all want they all want to do that there's no kind of you know it's a challenge it doesn't matter how good they it? are every kid wants to rebel so for me when i was in school it was kind of you know sneaking into the kind of prep room or or looking in the cupboards in the labs because you know, it's packed full of stuff and yeah seeing what was there because i was i was yeah a bit of a good choose yeah. mostly um so be, yeah that was my kind of act of rebellion now i kind of sort of developed this theory because yeah a lot of kids will kind of yeah pretty much every school i've had taught out had kind of yeah shirts and yeah shirts were supposed to be tucked in and you kind of yeah developed i quite a good eye for going take your shirt in and more often than not in pretty much every school I've ever taught at, you know, kids kind of knew that I would spot that their shirts hanging out and they'd see me from kind of a hundred meters away across the playground and start tucking their shirts in. Because they knew I would, I would pick them up on it. It's like the telltale this... reaching for the seatbelt you see from white van drivers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I kind of developed this theory that sometimes, yeah, if you've, if you've got the kind of, yeah, kids got the shirt hanging out at the back. Yeah, and you maybe maybe you haven't spotted it, or you've decided, yeah, you kind of. I know it's hanging out, but I'm, 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 it's not the right moment for me to kind of go take your shirt in. But I know it's hanging out because sometimes you just want you want them to get on with the work. Because if you kind of go take your shirt in, you've then distracted them away from getting on with the work they'll get on with. Yeah, it's got it's called tactical ignoring um, in the kind of in the trade. So as you kind of you you kind of if you've got these sort of shirts hanging out. They're kind of they've got this bit of rebellion it may be subconscious in the head they're going ha pew doesn't know that i've got my shirt hanging out ha yeah and they're satisfied the tick rebellion box ticked now if there's a sort of a teacher i sort of ignore shirts all the time yeah walking down the corridor i ignore the shirts hanging out then we've got a rule that then has become not a rule so it's no longer a rebellion <laughs> because that's just the norm there. We don't have to tell our shirts in. It might be written in the, 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 the school rules, but it's not actually a rule that anyone enforces. Therefore, if I have my shirt hanging out, it's no longer rebellion. So what do I need to do to up the game, to rebel now? Yeah, and that's when they start, you know, whatever, you know, numerous other things that kind of then satisfy that little box ticking of, I'm a teenager and I want to rebel. Anyway, that's my, that's my theory on what? teaching. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, like rebellion, if we're going deep and psychological, because it's an important part of like the development of, of self-identity, isn't it? Like it's that breakaway mm. from your parents and developing your own identity. And that does happen like hypothalamus and things are all developing when you're a teenager. So it is that kind of that period of time is when your brain is going, I have to forge myself. And in order to do that, I need to not do the things that everyone else has told me to do. Yeah, challenge the norms and... and Try going work out, you know. Yeah. Untuck your shirt, decide you're really not a rule breaker, and tuck it back in. Yeah. <laughs> Don't like the draft. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think it's it's something I kind of I kind of worked out, and then kind of just kept mm. applying it. And it, for me, it seemed to work. It kind of fitted in with everything. So yeah. did you keep telling them to tuck your shirt in so that they had that little rebellion and they wouldn't progress to bigger things? Is this how yeah. you implemented this theory? Basically, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. If they've if they have, if you if you're still keeping it as a rule and you're picking them up on it, they know they've been rebelling. 
because they're not going to burn down the science lab if you're not going to burn down the science labs they're not going to they're not going to start smoking in the the kind of in the lab or setting fire to things hopefully that's happened until here's the question though is is with you not reinforcing the school rule of tucking the shirt in is that you rebelling against the system there you know is that you becoming (laughs) embracing your teenage Uh, part of your brain well um yeah no i don't think they're, they're better ways to rebel if you're a teacher one are all the teachers and one are all the students in it andy ah <laughs> uh, no i i see i i i have issues with that because i have taught in places where for example policy for male teachers shirt and tie business wear mm-hmm. and where some staff don't do that and the senior leaders don't necessarily pick up on it and I always had the policy of if I was telling as over half my career was spent in boys grammar schools so yeah everyone's shirt and tie or supposed to of the students I would never tell a student unless there was some, some good reason for example I was doing an outdoor ed trip and I'd come back into school and I was in kind of outdoor ed gear or the like or I'd been on a trip worse anything but on the general day to day I would never tell a student to tuck their shirt in and do their top button up and do their tie up properly if I wasn't wearing the same. So yeah, that's my sort of policy. And I, to be honest, I hate ties. Oh, I absolutely hate sort of shirts and ties now. Actually, I, I don't mind a nice, a nice shirt. It's quite nice and you think. But, but it's, it's, the school shirt is never a nice shirt, is it? The school shirt is, well, is always school terrible. Yeah. The the inability for I don't know shirts and going to boarding school, you know, it was always you went to the outfitters, there was the place or if you were like me, you bought it second hand from the little stock they kept at the top of the school. But you know, there was the outfitters. But why could they still not fit it to you when it came from a specialist outfitters? It still didn't fit. Mm-hmm. It still looks ridiculous. It was I it boggles i yeah never worked that out <laughs> like, it's a good friend of the of the show uh billy rubin was talking about that um just everything nowadays is it's just made generic sizes compared to how it would have been in in the past where it would have been tailored to you so a, a lot of the stuff that we see you know in i suppose in in the media and stuff with people who can afford to go and get the clothes tailored to them or can do it themselves that looks like it fits really well it is just the generic you know two sizes too big that that have then been tailored to fit the body shape i mean i I would like to dispute generic sizes in terms of women because there is no standard standard (laughs) across women's sizes at all and i start buying men's trousers because men's trousers come with a waist measurement and a length measurement and pockets (laughs) and pockets (laughs) And I don't know. I don't see why we can't just do all trousers this way because I, I don't have a women's size. I vary between about six thing. different sizes. I'm just exactly, like I yeah. can buy men's trousers. I can go and I can go. This is my waist measurement. This is my inside leg. I know this is going to fit me. It's, yeah, especially the, the, the last... two things you can check yourself with. <laughs> especially the last two years because I've been ordering a lot online. It's sort of actually knowing that it's going to arrive and fit. <laughs> Brilliant. See, I find even with that though, it doesn't always kind of sort of fit well. There's a bit of variation. To, yeah, there's a bit of variation because I used to I used to find when I when I was younger and fitter, and had bigger muscles, um, I used to find that 
uh, with sort of particularly with sort of trousers, mm. that I could get if I got the the waist just right and the length just right. More often than not, I still couldn't do things like bend down in the trousers because basically the back of the trousers couldn't accommodate well-developed glutes. <laughs> and so they, they kind of be... You had junk in your trunk, wouldn't you? Yeah, I just... I, I, yeah, I, I, I get the same bad. thing, but with my uh, my quads. So I end up with the... Um, quite often if I get the same thing of getting a waist yeah. that fits. They're, they're just, they just seem to make them straight. And they, well, they don't accommodate this is the, the revolution of straight skinny trousers has definitely been a backward step for humanity because i don't know who's Absolutely. wearing that and making it work but are you just bone is there muscle <laughs> like who is doing that I, that's <laughs> my, my rant from the, the no leg work <laughs> it's the no <laughs> legs ever crowd in the gym <laughs> they just do the arm like Who's yes. wearing that? Who's still perpetrating this myth that we can fit into skinny jeans and skinny? It's not skinny fit shouldn't be a thing because I don't know who that's for. Does the big not um... to body show anyone who's skinny? <laughs> but yeah, having having the the uh, non default human shape. It's, yeah, but there was that thing in the, the crops in the states, wasn't there, where the um, there was a couple of uh, clothing manufacturers who were uh, they they didn't want anyone that didn't fit their narrative to be uh, in their clothes, so they just wouldn't supply anything with bigger sizes or things like that because they they just didn't want the 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 non pretty people wearing the uh, their clothes. Is that, I mean, is that the same manufacturer that would refuse entry to their short doors for people as well if they weren't pretty enough? Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I know there have been a few recently where they've admitted or they've been found out to be um, inflating their sizes. So mm. the size, so that people think they're fitting into the smaller size, their ego boosts and they buy the clothes. And that's been <laughs> rife in a couple of uh, manufacturers for the past couple I, of years, which I wonder if is that's not the... helpful generally. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Imagine if we started doing that with like tape measures and things, you know, it's like, oh, we've, we've bought this 2.4 metre length of wood, but actually we're, we're going to tell you it's a three metre length of wood, so you think you're getting near it. <laughs> Your project's going to be smaller. Work. Why do we allow this? Yeah. I mean, I know that they did it with the uh, with condom manufacturers uh, back in the day. By um, <laughs> they, they shifted all the sizes down one for certain markets so that the, uh, it would give the guys an ego boost. Oh. Having to having to get an XL or things like that. It's all a scam. It's all a scam. Cutting yeah. <laughs> egos and making making us feel alright until the sensible people measure stuff. Yeah, or just are aware of their own selves. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've got a better understanding of my size, and I'm, I'm sure most men have a better understanding of their size than any manufacturer does. So probably just be confident in that rather than feel like you need that ego boost. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it, it's, it's, it is that kind of sort of finding the kind of, or the, 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 the kind of the size ratios that get used for different kind of things. And I find, you know, I mean, I've, again, I'm not as fit as I was, but I've still got fairly good shoulders. And I find that oftentimes I have to buy, for example, like with college, yeah, obviously with some college, but with kind of, you know, 
business type shirts, you know, collar and tie type shirts. Often I'd have a slightly bigger collar size than I would normally have, which can look a bit odd, because otherwise the kind of the shoulders would or the back would split when you kind of get very hilly or something. The big, the big flared collar. Yeah, or yeah, just it'd be kind of yeah, you'd have your tie be down here somewhere. Yeah, just like sort of gap. See, that, that, that's not a problem for me because it completely hides all of <laughs> like, the top half of the tie under the beard. Anyway. Never need to button up the shirt at all. Uh, <laughs> I think having fit I, again many many years ago, I was a, I was an officer with the air training corps. Um, so technically, I was an RAF officer. So I had to go and collect uniform from uh, I think it was Linham, RAF Linham. So I had to kind of queue up in the, the quartermaster stores and things. And I thought I was just going to be collecting. This sort of yeah, one jumper, one yeah, two shirts, whatever the, the list of kind of what they would dish out. And so yeah, they said, okay, right, yeah, just come on through. Uh, it's like everyone else had just been queuing up. I'm like, why am I going to come on through? Right, okay, right. So sort of check, right, okay, you're you're such and such a waste because you, you wouldn't believe what they said. You had to sort of check. So, right, okay, so waist and inside leg, etc. Then sort of came out. Said right, okay, put these trousers on. And then he kind of like, so I put the trousers on. And he's got to start to kind of make little marks with sort of some chalk. He said, "Right, you can collect these in a week's time." And they literally they tape the trousers the, the, and the the sort of jacket because I had obviously a, a proper sort mm. of blues on jacket uh, for sort of uh, number one dress. And basically, was like, "Yep, we'll get that fitted to you." I say, "What those trousers were so comfortable." Mm. I mean, they were hot, they were, I mean, it was a heavy fabric, but yeah, you know, in terms of kind of yeah. you know, fit and how they looked, kind of you know, with a nice pair of shoes, yeah, because it wasn't just a flat sort of you know, hem on the trousers, there was a slight angle to it. And it's what they, they that was really sort of comfortable. I was kind of sorry I had to give them back when I kind of sort of finished. Um, well, it, in terms of like tailoring an outfit, I mean, not to steve this completely, but. When we last saw you, Becky, you had a, a very specifically tailored adornment to your outfit. Yes. <laughs> Next to, it's not with you tonight, though. <laughs> so yeah, it's on the shelf. I can, I can bring the dragon in, would you, if you'd like. <laughs> a little bit. I can't, I can't, I can't perch him on my shoulder because, uh, uh, yeah. It's so pretty. He, so he was actually attached to my bag strap, which is he doesn't quite stay on my shoulder on his own. But he's, uh, yeah. There are some errors in this. The the belly curved out too much, and I this I had a red mark on my shoulder that didn't go away for about four days because I'd actually had this <laughs> belly kind of digging in the back of my shoulder. Um, but yeah, he could fit any most shoulders. He just sort of hooks on, you know. Yeah. So cool. Have have you yes. got him articulating and stuff now? Well, he, so he or... he does articulate. So he's, he does you know he does bend out quite nice. Hang on, whoops. He bends out and his so his cool. tail tail does flip. Um, the problem was that I was working. You know, I decided about four days before Maker Central that I would build this <laughs> in that classic kind of. I've had an idea. I'm going to make this thing happen. Um, and so I just, I don't know, that's fine. Um, and I just kind of entered, you know, that flow state where you just, you haven't looked up and suddenly you've built an entire thing and three meals have gone by. Um, 
So I didn't have time to order any materials or to 3D print any elements or to do any sort of extra thing. So it was what materials have I got in my house? Mm. And it meant that the structure inside is built from uh, just built from foam, which is fine until you attach a servo motor to it and expect it not to distort the entire shape <laughs> and actually just pull the bits that it's meant to. Foam goes a bit so, Everything works, but the structure of the dragon does not support everything working. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, it's sort of there's there's some revisions to be made. I definitely I, I want to try again. Um, it's sort of re making him work is more more work than starting again, actually. So yeah, yeah there's sort of Lessons you know I'd like to stuff, Lessons learned. I'd like to 3D print some of the mechanics so that they're sort of Ooh. nice and secure. And the the wings and the the tail, um, the tail is is built on like a servo attached to a milk bottle lid, which has a thread running around it. So I can definitely improve that system. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's some there's some design bits to change, but yeah, it's uh, it was good for for, for a four day build. <laughs> Absolutely. I suppose for the uh, for the uh, video listeners, audio listeners, audio, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Because we we met you at Maker Central with yeah. It, it, does he does he have a name? Your your dragon friend, uh, Moko. Moko. Well, there you go. So you you had this uh, wonderful shiny dragon, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> sort of perched on your shoulder, giving you you know. Uh, company around the event I suppose yeah it's yeah cool it's project. uh I mean it's it's one of those things where it was Maker Central was the first big event I've been back to post pandemic and I think for me as with a lot of people there was I'm I'm quite a, an introverted person anyway I can get a bit overwhelmed in crowds and meeting new people and I was just like if I have something that I can just I can just talk about that and I don't have to actually start a conversation or talk about me or there's just there was a focus there was a conversation so it's an emotional support you know, dragon it's an emotional support dragon <laughs> one should have one yeah, everyone should have an emotional i mean i think everyone should have a dragon it, it full stop yeah i think i said when i tweeted earlier there's there's 30 approximately in this room right now and that's not including the rest of the house they have started to spill over a bit uh amazing yes yeah, I just think, I mean, dragons are fascinating to me just because they're one of those, they're mythologically in every culture across the globe yeah. for centuries. Yeah, they are, they, yeah. they've, And there's no kind of, I mean, there are dinosaurs, but there's not that creature where people go, oh, there's that winged flying dinosaur creature that that dragon could have come from that everyone's had and everyone drew from it. There's no kind of common link where we can say that's where that myth came from. So it's just fascinating to me, and I'm sure they still exist. They're hiding in Wales somewhere. Yeah. See, Absolutely. Andy can confirm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, I think there's a point that you mentioned about sort of dinosaurs. I mean, there, there's I, every now and again you kind of hear things. I've, I've just a couple of weeks ago I heard something sort of somebody talking about how kind of you know, what we see on a lot of the times on sort of TV and in books about what dinosaurs look like. Include quite a lot of guesswork. Well, yeah. it's, and, it's, and, and, it's the and, thing they're feathered. 
They were feathered. Well, this is this is a, this is a thing. That's a possibility. So yeah, okay, I mean, even something like the I, the one I've heard just a couple of last week or the week before was was talking about the T Rex. Mm. Yeah, those tiny little arms. Maybe they weren't actually arms in the manner that we kind of they're represented on the sort of T Rex, but maybe they were actually kind of a almost like a wing structure, more like you'd find on a on a sort of a chicken. Oh, interesting. So yeah, it, probably not. Yeah, but the, the size of it, it would be flightless. Yeah, very <laughs> much yeah. more like a, a dodo kind of situation. Yes. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, is there perhaps in the kind of you think yeah. about? I mean, their name changed. You know, think about the um, the, the pterodactyls. I know there's kind mm. of various names for them nowadays, but you know, when I was a kid, mm. it was pterodactyl. Um, and you kind of think, well, you know, pterodactyl, or maybe there were other flying dinosaurs as well. And, and maybe, you know, actually sort of. Why are the, they not called flinosaurs? Yeah. <laughs> it's the, <laughs> the kind of the stories actually based around yeah. things passed down about these kind of, you know, flying reptiles. Um, I mean, I, I always think truth is a very subjective thing. And fact is a very subjective thing. And what we think is, you know, factual now is not what people 500 years ago thought of as factual or yep. a thousand years ago thought of as factual. Yeah, it's it's what we think of as facts based on the knowledge we currently have available to us. And that doesn't mean yeah. different knowledge is not going to present itself. And that fact, those facts can't change. Yeah. So I think there was an instance, I think it was about five years ago, when they discovered that dinosaurs were probably quite brightly coloured. Yeah. And probably had a lot of, diff you know, were quite lurid. And the Natural History Museum was just like, we cannot paint our dinosaurs this colour because no one will believe it. <laughs> so we've got so entrenched in the kind of, you know, the natural browns and the greens that if there was suddenly sort of a bright pink dinosaur, we'd just be like, nah. <laughs> yeah, bright pink with feathers like... and a thrill. Yeah. Yeah. Like crazy, crazy, very like similar that's breaking in and just just yeah like rattle can spraying out all the uh... yeah i sort of like something very similar this week to someone it's like yeah the whole idea of the the the, the rainbow the the, 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 mm -hmm. the visible spectrum you know which everyone learns you know roy g biv or richard of york gave battle in vain now if you actually look at if you if you take a a, a prism ideally a really big one and get a nice sort of light source and, and project a, a spectrum as big as you can possibly make it on a nice big plain white wall and then try and count the number of colors you'll get six not seven not seven because that old uh, that old guy newton bit of a numerologist and astrologer amongst other things <laughs> he didn't like the number six because six has kind of you know, negative associations you get things like six 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 mm. and, and presumably the other ones as well but seven uh, seven's a nice magical number, and seven's got yeah you know, very positive things. So it'd be a lot better if there were seven colours in there. Well, I mean, and it is basically just red, teach. orange, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple, purple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can remember really the violet the is a bit made up. I think it was the I think it was the violet was the one he added. So but this is like, I mean. There's there's people with we're coming full circle. People with different levels of uh, cones in their eyes. Like there was one yeah. woman a couple of years ago who could see four thousand more colours than the majority of people. So yeah, you have no idea what anyone else is. Yeah. 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 Because women tend to have one extra cone cell than men do, um, which is why colour blindness is much more prevalent in right. men than it is in women. And this woman had an extra extra cone cell on top. Like a super, just, super seer. 
What are you even and, saying? And that's before you can start getting on with the uh, the idea of synesthesia. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, where people literally oh, taste so cool. colour. So I have been discovering about the different ways that people think and that some people don't see pictures. And this blew my yes. mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah how, a friend of mine has no inner monologue. No, 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 no. He, he, he's got an inner monologue. I mean, some people also have no inner monologue. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> I have a friend who probably doesn't have an inner monologue because everything she thinks comes straight out of her mouth. Um, but yeah, my, my friend, when he when that sort of became a bit of a thing on the internet, he was like, mm. that, that, that's me, I, that's, I don't have that, the pictures in the head. Like, right, sit down, tell me everything. How do you Explain. function? How do you do the things? Because I can't comprehend that. I, no, I just, really? I almost have a film playing constantly in my head. It's just there. It's like... I just, and I can't, I can't even fathom how else you would think. It's so outside of my own experience. Yeah, it's 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 akin to trying to turn off one of your other senses, isn't it? You know, yeah. You know, being soundless or sightless or things like that. It's that something that's so intrinsically there and has been for your whole life to be able to just switch that off is mm. really difficult to get your head around. Especially if you're yeah. visualizing something that you're not visualizing. <laughs> it's it's interesting. I had this conversation with a, a fellow. I had it with someone at Maker Center, and I've had it with a, another maker as well about how I think in three D. Mm -hmm. And so I find drawing a plan or a design absolutely useless because then I have to add another layer of translation. So I have to take the 3D image in my head, turn it into a 2D image, and then bring it back to a 3D make. So why would I do that when I can just take the 3D image straight from my brain into a thing? I just go straight from, that's the plan. The plan exists. It's sort of that it goes straight through to the, the 3D thing in front of me. Because why would I add that extra layer of work for myself? And it's sort yeah, of... makes total but, sense. But people, not everyone thinks that way, apparently. I find that fascinating because... <laughs> Earliest day, I was watching uh, one of your videos, the one where you were making mm -hmm. a, a vertebrate. So you had mm -hmm. uh, pelvis, uh, pelvic bones, and you were making the first of the vertebrae with sort of foil and, and sort of shaping out, and you were sort of a brilliant piece of work. And I, I was watching that thinking, I know what vertebrae look like. I've kind of, you know, I've, I've played with vertebrae. Even as a kid, you know, kind of walking on the moors, you'd find, mm. there, yeah, after sort of winter, you'd find, yeah stripped out kind of spines and yeah oh, look at so, so, yeah, and, human and, i'm assuming well, where's yeah. the moors yeah what happens on the moors stays on the moors yeah and but yeah as, as a science teacher yeah you know, I've, I've been i find it fascinating mm. but i was watching you kind of you know, working on this sort of piece and i'm thinking Okay, I can the fine the finishing off, you know, getting it nice and smooth, and you were talking about kind of you know, okay, yeah, you want to do a bit let it dry so you can then handle it without leaving fingerprints on there. Okay, got all that, no problem at all. I'm thinking I can see that you've you've started with foil as your kind of armature. That's a technique I, I've used and I I've, I know it kind of worked. And I'm just thinking, how on earth do we go from the kind of the the, the ball of foil to the finished thing? Is that gap in the middle? Right? Just my brain. Mm. I, I will Can't admit, handle. I wish I'd just bought a spine for that project. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
And there was a lot of, I actually, I ended up buying a 3D model of a human spine so that I could literally sit with it on the computer and rotate it and see it from every angle so that, because the spine is like vertebrae are more complicated than you think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And building a whole spine's worth. And the variation in size between each one, because they're not all exactly the same size. I don't know what they're called, but let's call them flanges. The little flanges start changing shape and morphing, so that, and they've got to morph organically, so that by the time they're a different shape up here, they've gone organically. It was wonderful when it was finished, but I hated a lot of that project. <laughs> For those who aren't aware, you were making a harp. So that, that there is an... Yeah, there's an old uh, British uh, folktale, and it's one of those folktales that sort of first appears in in British vernacular in in like the 1100s, and just keeps getting retold and retold and retold. And is about two sisters, uh, daughters of the king, and one of them is engaged to 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 prince, and uh, the other sister's brutally jealous, and so murders her because she wants to marry the prince instead, and. Throws her in a throws her in a river, murders her, throws her in a river, and this is the weird bit of the folktale. Uh, her body drifts down the the stream to a miller, who decides to take all the flesh away and turn her skeleton into a harp. <laughs> Which, I should do, <laughs> as yeah. you do when you find a body. Um, and then a local harpist buys the harp, and at the wedding of the other sister to the prince. Perf- brings this harp out made of the sister's spine and pelvis and the strings are her hair and it sings the song of its own murder <laughs> and this folktale i've been obsessed with this folktale for years and i think it's it, it's just it's one of those like dragons is so prevalent in sort of british history that you're like there must be something originally that triggered this yeah. and a friend of mine who's an author was actually writing a book based on the story and I said, well, if you're writing a book, I'll make you a harp that can sing, that can go around on book tours with you. That would be amazing. So I did. <laughs> and it is, well, uh, yeah, made all the spine and the pelvis. The hair, the strings are real hair. Never try and string a harp with hair. It's a well, terrible one. Well, because you can buy real hair because people of use course. it for wigs and for hair extensions all the time so it's really easy and while it's not easy to buy a human spine it's really easy to buy human hair <laughs> so it's real human hair and then it has a um in the the base is a piece of large piece of bogwood um because i thought i need something to sit this on so it doesn't fall over i've got this piece of bogwood that looks like it's been pulled out of some ancient bog and embedded into that is a speaker system with the song so that it will oh, sing it sings the song I mean, it's it it's fully measured up to be the size of a sixteen year old girl. So it's about with the curve in it. It's about that sort of that tall, so like yeah. forty centimeters, sort of pelvis to point. It's not a small thing. <laughs> no. And it's quite weird to explain on public transport. <laughs> <Can't help it. laughs> It's not. It's not a real human spine. Don't worry. But it, <laughs> it is, real human it is just. <laughs> no, the best compliment I got from it was actually when I was I went out for a drink with a friend who's a, a doctor and um had you know and she said, "Go, it looks real." And I was like, "Yes." That's what you want, definitely. But yeah, I, I, it looks like a harp. 
because I mean that, that's kind of no, but but it is it does need to have that moment where you look at it and kind of go oh, it's a hub oh wait hang on um so there was a lot of in the design there was a lot of working through like how do you make something that is is horrifying when you realize what it is but isn't immediately just gore and horror and it has to be this thing mm. of this beautiful musical instrument um but I did swear that I would never build another skeleton again after that. And I've, uh, I'm drawing up plans for a two meter long dragon skeleton as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So I never say that. The, the, the benefit there, I suppose, is at least that you haven't got a real actual dragon skeleton to compare it against, you know, so you, it, it's yeah. always going to look as accurate as you want it to be. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's still like I take the design of mythical creatures so the way i design dragons is their horses are their heads are across between horses and stags so i often my dragons have antlers um which is very much come from sort of chinese mythology and, and eastern mm -hmm. mythology and dragons always have antlers and i think it's a cool detail but also it gives you a great base to build in horns if you're building ruffs and horns and things um, and the leg structure is I always use a lion. So in terms of where the joints go, it's all about yep. lion joints for the back legs and the front legs oh, and the paws. Because nice. lions have, they have that kind of back back knob to their paws, mm. um, which is great for an extra claw. Um, yeah, a spur, yeah. Yeah, so it's, although it's kind of I can make it up, I there is a if you want people to believe in things and you want people to suspend their disbelief you have to it has to pull from something that they recognize so it yeah. has to have that familiarity where people go oh i can i can see that i can see that being a real skeleton whereas if it's just i don't know i could make it completely up and then people look at it and go that's not real it's fun but it's not real and i want mm -hmm. i like that moment of disbelief where people go is that is that real and just <laughs> If you can make people believe for just an instant, I think you've won. Mm. Yeah, it's like with, with like with um, How to Train Your Dragon when they turned mm. that into the cartoon, and you had you know, toothless, and there's kind of a you know, feline kind of sort of elements to toothless's he's, face. He's very cat-like. <laughs> yeah, and and the way he moves as well, kind of sort of cat-like. And I think there's mm. that, although it's different. I mean, obviously we've had Trinity Dragon had a, a huge array of dragons of all sorts of shapes and mm. sizes, but that kind of was quite, I think, quite unique. That a particular dragon, and obviously, they needed a sort of a, a, a star dragon to sort of star in the show, it needed to be different, but still having those that that, that feline nature, the kind of when the way it moved and also the way it looked, obviously, combined with kind of dragon like features, the ability mm. to. Yeah, you know, send out pulses of plasma in the case of you know, yeah. Uh, I think kind of brings it to to the audience to kind of go, yeah, I can believe in that. But I think as well with with Toothless, which is why you know he works as the hero dragon, is you the having the cat and the domestic feline rather than say going with a because he's definitely cat, like the way he plays yep. and the way he jumps yeah. is cat rather than say tiger. And so you've got this kind of domesticated connection where you want to look after, you want to connect to this creature, that if they'd gone for a wild animal, I don't think we'd have got that same, people yeah. wouldn't have responded in the same way or as well to him. Whereas yeah. you really kind of, you go, oh, this is a thing I could love. 
Yeah, yeah you want to give him a cuddle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I take up those. <laughs> yes. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's, it's that kind of design. Uh, there's a great book that I'm, I've entirely forgotten about, um, but she was an ex-Disney uh, animator, and she did an entire book on the creation of creatures that don't exist and it's out of print now but you can still get it at a few places and it is wonderful and it is all about that kind of pulling from different elements that do exist and giving those people those the touchstones where they kind of that mm. pull them into the world there's a documentary as well which I've, i started watching but haven't finished which if i remember correctly was aimed at kind of more the harry potter world and looking at the creatures within that and looking at the kind of the the, the folklore and the sort of the, the fauna um of kind of the, the the harry potter kind of world and looking at that i can't remember it was started watching it. i think it was one of those cases watched it and started watching it and it was like oh do you want to watch this more but just didn't quite have enough time and then kind of yeah just not got around to it hmm Brain, let's make a little note. <laughs> I think it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? it it's having, like you said, having that kind of the, those touchstones that are the, those points of familiarity. It, it, it endears you to them. Well, you know, I it's think sort of like Shrek, like the Shrek dragon, you know, the, the yeah, game, it's got the kind of. She's a very classic dragon. I think she she plays into yeah. archetypes of like how we imagine dragons. That is that absolutely is like the four legged because don't get me started on two legged dragons. They're wise ones. We're not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, she's four legged. She's got the wings. She look, you know, she's down on all fours. She's got the bigger belly. She's got the small. Like it, it's very kind mm. of archetype dragon. Of I feel like those are the dragons I saw in my childhood. Of kind of that's what dragons looked like. Yeah, um, well, so almost. I, I suppose all the characters in the Shrek films and stuff are like caricatures of what we would imagine as those things. Mm. You know, the caricature of Donkey being the way he is, and yeah, you know, the, the ogre being the way he is and stuff. Um, but yeah, it, I think that it, it, that's absolutely what I certainly grew up with as dragons as being, like you say, the, the sort of the four-legged, disproportionately sized wings to the rest of the body. And, you know that kind of super thin neck but really big head and you know that kind of yeah i was trying to remember the other day i was trying to sort of work out where my first dragon experience came from and i think i've pinpointed it now and it's a terrible dragon um and it's the bbc chronicles of narnia uh <laughs> that came out in the 80s yeah. um and it's when eustace turns into a dragon and it is you know it's like a costume on pipes and it's sort of, I, I look, and in my head, because I haven't gone back to it, in my head it was a brilliant dragon. And then yeah. I found a picture of it. It's a terrible, <laughs> I mean, it's a classic dragon, but it is a classic kind of BBC 80s budget costume. It's exactly, you know, it's a Dalek that's a plunger and a whisk. It is exactly that kind of model making of, mm -hmm. we've got a shoebox and a tube in the back, I'll put some fabric over it and we'll call it a dragon. It's very much of that school. And it's sort of, but that embedded in my brain as a child and went, dragons are great, this is brilliant. It's like never ended story, isn't it? It's the same sort of, you know, hasn't quite stood the test of time almost. <laughs> I, th I think we were more accommodating in the past 
on mm. things like um, in films and TV with props that we look at now and go, oh yeah, that's obviously. And I think of uh, Clash of the Titans. Uh, mm. I can't remember his name now. Harry. Harryhausen. Harryhausen, yeah. And yeah, you've got the sort of skeletons moving around. And if you see it now, I mean, it, it's still actually, I think, really. It's good still brilliant, yeah. When you kind of think about when it was made. But you compare it to how it would be done now, probably with a load of CGI, and it would be so much smoother. And, but yeah, it'd be yeah. a scary film. I remember watching that. Uh, yeah, it was one of the ones that was always on at Christmas because Christmas was the kind of time when there were loads of films on. And certainly when I was small, it was kind of like we get the radio times and the TV times. I don't know why we bought both because they both covered the, all the time. Did you circle all your, all your programs? Yeah, then? we went and circled yeah, it's just like, <laughs> we, we spent pretty much all the Christmas holidays here yeah, eating sweets, playing games, and watching films on TV and, and yeah, recording Top of the Pops with a tape recorder next to the TV. Yeah, you put um, the thing in, you press the button, yeah. you wait, you wait, and you go. And it's like, you, know, to get, you pause it when there's kind of, you know, the speaking, because you don't want to hear the speaking, and kind of yeah, everyone can start talking again. And it's like, it's, it's, you start getting to go, it's like, shh. Yeah. And it's in the intro. Yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah, I think I think we were so much more accommodating. We was, we, we accepted the fact, we, we ignored the fact that this was clearly... You know things with strings, or mm. you know, it was clearly kind of you know you did some of the sort of you know other signs that it was something made up. We we accepted that, and I think I, I, I obviously I, I love modern sort of film and and the cre things we see now. They are so much more realistic. We do have that kind of we can suspend our disbelief without any kind of having to kind of turn off the idea that oh yeah this is this is clearly fake. But then when we look back, we kind of go. Yeah, no, that, that really was rubbish. I was that Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, one of my favourite TV shows. Oh, it's brilliant! It's one of my favourite books. Yeah, I really like it. But kind of watching some of the effects now, you kind of go, "Well, yeah. Saffron's head is terrible, isn't it? It's yeah, is just it's, it's <laughs> literally just sits there. Occasionally, its eyes move and it looks at him, but it's that's paper, sort of it's, otherwise, it's, it's just kind of hanging yeah. there." Really, paper mache or, or something. Yeah, it's just like completely. The hair doesn't look realistic. But, but yeah, I so. sort of, I mean, grew up loving that, and the, I can quote the radio show word for word, almost verbatim. Like I bring the Babelfish quote out more than I care to admit. Um, and then the the new movie came out, which is not actually new, and probably came out what twenty years ago now, or something like that. Yeah, you'd and, be surprised. Well, 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 it's irrelevant. It had, don't look. It didn't have any of the soul. It was very shiny, but it, like, part of there was a charm about the fact that these things would be like Red Dwarf. The fact they were just in the BBC canteen and everything, you know, yeah. and they they did blow up Red Dwarf at the end of the fourth season, so they couldn't actually go back. And then, I, there is something really charming about the handmadeness of everything. Yeah. I was watching, um, we watched Wallace and Gromit again at Christmas, went back and did all the old, the classic, all three films. And um, I mean, I know there's more now, but the classic films. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's being able to see the thumbprint on his face and things. And yes. you just, it's, so I don't know, I'm going to make some controversial opinions now. I love um, Leica, who are the, the, they do Paranorman and Coraline and, uh, they're the stop motion company in America and they do beautiful things. 
but they did their latest film, which Missing Link, and it's beautiful, it's stunning, but they employed a lot more CG. And they were augmenting a lot of the stop motion with CG. And so making everything, everything felt very smooth. I just came away just thinking, I didn't enjoy that as much. Yeah. I, I liked the seeing, and I liked the, the, the behind the scenes of the way they innovated when they were just like, how do we do full water and throwing someone into the sea in stop motion and working that out and just the creativity that that kind of, that breeds rather than just, and it's not just we'll do it all in computer graphics because I work in video. I know how hard it is. It is. It's not just we'll fix it and we'll do it this way. But the the nature of that creation of invention where you have no budget and you have some paper mache and how are you going to make this work? It's just yeah. wonderful the things that came out of that. That crinkly, that crinkly clear kind of uh, plastic that kind of you crinkle it up and it's yeah. kind of this really kind of water. Yeah. As I said, do you think it might be the, uh, the, the having that you know kind of knowledge behind the curtain? Um, do you think that might have influenced that kind of uh, dislike of the new film a bit more? You know, of, of the the kind of the the, the uh, being able to spot things like the thumbprint on Wallace's face. And knowing what was involved in that, knowing those charms of yeah. that versus knowing what's involved in, you know, smoothing tweening frames and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, a, I mean, I will admit, I've, I'm, so I'm, I'm on my day job that surrounds my making, I'm a video editor and I have been for a long time and I've fallen a little bit out of love with it. And this may be affecting my opinion on things that are video based. <laughs> You know, I, I don't love it in the way I used to. I, I don't know. It's it's weird because I've got the opposite thing with Dark Crystal, mm. where I I hate the original Dark Crystal movie, <laughs> which is mainly I saw it. I wasn't young enough. I didn't I didn't see it till I was in my twenties, and by that time it was just a bit like, well, this is this is fine. Yeah. And then. <laughs> I found out when they did the new one, when they did the TV series for Netflix, which was still so much puppetry, but they were doing things like, you know, doing full range of movement on the mouths of the Gelflings with CG, because then they could add that in. So mm. it's CG augmented. And uh, that Jim Henson had always said he hated the Dark Crystal because he didn't think there was enough facial expression in the Gelflings and they just looked flat and dead. And so no one cared about their story. And I was like, yay, I'm not wrong. <laughs> So I have the opposite, where I thought the new series looked great and I kind of hate the original film. And so I think it's a really fine balance. And I don't know where the sweet spot is. And I think it depends massively on the project and what you're trying to achieve. Like, it's all, it should be story driven. Like, everything should be, does this does this story have a handmade feel that should be told in this way? Is this story a big a Marvel blockbuster that where we need to believe that aliens in space are fighting someone from earth he listens to a lot of old rock music like it, it sort of <laughs> i guess the story should inform it all and should yeah i don't know where the sweet spot is and i, I think it's probably very project dependent as to and yeah. what you have the resources to do is kind of you should do it to the best of your ability however that occurs i suppose the suspension of disbelief is going to be there in different points for different people as well mm. 
I think that, that's something that's probably probably quite subjective. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, I was thinking because you talk about kind of yeah that lack of soul with certain things, and uh, the one that sort of jumps to mind, the, the few jump to mind are things like uh, cartoons. So, Fireman Sam, or <gasps> Bob the Builder. Now, I mean, you know, obviously, I didn't grow up with Bob the Builder, but yeah, my kids did. And it was kind of the, the original Bob the Builder. But then kind of as they sort of got a bit older, the, the new <laughs> yeah, the new Bob the Builder came out. And I really didn't like it at all. Mm-hmm. In, in some ways it was cleaner. And I can imagine that yeah, perhaps you know, children watching that now, watching the kind of the new Bob the Builder, would kind of take that almost as a norm. And kind of, sort of mm. but then maybe look at the older one and go, oh, isn't that kind of clunky and thing? Whereas I'm kind of watching it because yeah. it, it was more like the, the cartoons, well, some of the cartoons that I grew up with. But I think that kind of, that almost like clunkiness gave it a bit more soul. And for me, it was just, it was just nicer. It's interesting though, because if you look at, I mean, I saw new Fireman Sam recently and now it's got a rock intro and I can't stand that. But. <laughs> Um, but if you take kind of animation styles, like I remember the big and, you know, Disney, of course, but growing up, it was the Don Bluff animation studio who did like an American tale and Thumbelina and all dogs go to heaven. And they are paintings. Go back and watch an American yeah. tale. The backgrounds are their mm. masterworks. And that's a beautiful style of animation. But then if you compare it to something like Studio Ghibli is a very simple kind of cell shaded and yeah. is just as beautiful and i don't look at I don't, I don't know it's easier kind of and also then you've got house train your dragon which is very cgi and i think are the is the best stand-up trilogy of recent memory yeah um but but i think i think it's I, what suits if, if how to train your dragon had been maybe produced 30 years ago and then they brought out the new one would people be going mm, not sure about the new one mm. or would they be going oh that's better I th- I think that is a, a whole different issue because I think that's an issue of originality. And I I sort of hate what Disney's doing right now where they're making live action remakes of all their old classic animations. Make a new story. There are enough yeah. stories. And I think <laughs> there's see the, always the going to be... A... They, they, they've, got, um, they've got the rights for the Muppets. So why instead of doing live action versions of all these... Oh, why don't they do revisit Muppet versions of all the classics? Yeah. Because they, they would get infinitely more views on them. You know, Muppets Muppets version of the of Aladdin would be yeah. amazing. I mean, like they're doing and live action versions of certain things, like the Lion King is and it's not live action, it's all CGI. So CGI version of the Lion King, but everything CGI. And that's fine. They do look like photorealistic lions. However, photorealistic lions don't have mouths that are meant to sing. So it just looks weird. <laughs> so that, uncanny it does have, it's, it's uncanny mouth. It's something like, you know, that creature is not meant to move its mouth in a way that allows it to sing like a human. So of course it looks wrong. So don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, I I think yeah that's we shouldn't remake old things. <laughs> we should do we, new we things. Watched, um, the new Chippendale Rescue Rangers film. Okay, that was funny, <laughs> and that was brilliant. But um, that wasn't a remake. That was a kind of follow-on almost of. Absolutely, yeah. 
And I, so I, it works. It's not, a new story. <laughs> it, new story, revisiting stuff that I grew up with, and that kind of blend between the worlds, almost. You know, of mm. them, uh, of them. Say, spoiler alert! You know, them as actors playing Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Yeah, you know, it was it was just a wonderful way of of telling an additional story about them and blending real life and CGI. At different I levels. think that probably works better for people of our generation who grew up with Chip and Dale than it yeah. does for kids who have no idea what Chip and Dale is. That is not a movie for yes. them. That is a movie for oh, us. It, totally for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, and I think that, I think that's a key thing, though, isn't it? It is kind of it's the skill of the storyteller, but it's also who's the audience and mm -hmm. uh, yeah. How what, what's the experience of that audience and how old are they? And I think sometimes it can be done really well for in kind of sort of both ways. Uh, I think yeah, one one of kind of our favourite films here is is Paddington. Yeah, Paddington. Paddington. I, I mean, I grew up on Paddington cartoons, you know, animations, and, mm. and obviously books as well, animations. And yeah, they were very simple style of animation. There wasn't much in each scene. It was it. I think beautifully done, and it's kind of that that uh, almost minimalistic approach, the very artistic approach. But in terms of kind of you know, it was very much about the story because there wasn't a huge amount of animation. It wasn't like they were doing kind of you know, twenty five frames, twenty four frames a second or more. Mm. It was yeah, you know, it would change every second. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the rate of change, but it was all based on what the story was. So it was it was almost like opening a book. And mm. reading it, but somebody else was reading it to you. But then you take something like the film, which obviously is a mixture of live action and CGI, and yeah, it's just a, it's, it's just a beautiful film. It's re it's really well made. Yeah. It, it's funny at times. You want to cry at times. You know, you've got an evil you know, character. You've got a you know, hero characters. You've got a change in another character that go from kind of you know, sort of doubting to kind of you know, being the kind of you know, almost a, a hero in themselves. And yeah, I think if that, that that word you've used several times, storytelling, mm. it is key. And I, th I think I think that's I think storytelling is something that is missed out on in, for example, YouTube channels. Mm. I see some YouTubers, mm -hmm. and I, th I think even if you're you're making something, unless you're doing the kind of you know the I want to show people how to change a battery in a watch or um i want to show people how to fix this thing but if you're doing kind of you know the edutainment type of videos where you're showing somebody you know, you're making of something rather than how to make but more this is the thing i've made i'm going to take you through the process and the sort of videos that many of us just watch just because actually it's better than some of the stuff that's on tv it's enjoyable to watch. I'm I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna make a, a well, I don't think I'm gonna make a a, a bone harp. Um <laughs> I think it'd be fascinating, but I, I don't have the sculptural skills. Um, never say never, I'm not sure. Andy. Never never. Uh, I'm not sure wife would be very impressed with it, but I, my kids might. Um but who knows? But you know, I really enjoyed watching that video and you, you talked about it. But I think the key there is. And I think sometimes with many really successful channels, they're not necessarily the best makers, but they're often really good storytellers. 
Mm. And they bring their audience along with them. And you want to find out what's happening next year. You want to find out, you know, did that resin in that you know, table set or not? You know, was it going to be a disaster? Not just based on some kind of clickbaity video uh, thumbnail where they're kind of entitled, where they're kind of going, you know, I, yeah, I, $5,000 of resin down the drain type thing. Mm. But we kind of, you just want to go, yeah, I want to watch that. I, I, I caught Laura Camp's premiere this afternoon. And yeah, I, I, I tried to when I can on a, on a Sunday watch sort of Laura Camp mm. because she takes you on a journey. She's either taking you on a journey mm. at the moment through kind of, you know, taking Oh, the story of the house. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, what's happening with that. But when she's doing like her, her, her sort of builds, uh, mm. you know, using the, the, the spy cases the flight case or not yeah. flight cases but the you know, flight like cases that it, sort of you know, we built the spy gear in and you're kind of going there's a story to this and she's taking on the story of the build but also there's that element of the story of where they came from and how she got them or what they originally were i think that's i think there's many people who miss out on storytelling when they're trying to produce videos but i think I mean, the really successful people are good at it I mean, you're asking like it's it's all about like time is everyone's most valuable commodity, isn't it? Like it's that, and you're asking people to give up their time, whether yeah. you're asking them to watch a video, read an article, come do a favor, build something themselves. You are asking for people's time, and sort of, I think stories are the best way to get people to invest in something. Like you can, mm. if there's a narrative, people will invest themselves in it, um, and you know it is worth their time if it if it's just here's a thing you're kind of like okay well that's a thing that's it's fine moving on yeah you, you want to you get something from it if if there's a story and a payoff you know it's that denouement it's kind of i have invested i have received this back i feel satisfied yeah i, th I think that's that's sort of something you touched on before as well is that, that kind of watching something that that wasn't particularly good and it's it's either that sort of i didn't enjoy that or you just completely it just disappears out of your mind and i, I think that's yeah. that's that key you know if, you, if you're watching something and you go oh that's finished and then click to the next thing versus getting to the end of something and going oh i you know either did or didn't enjoy that if if, if you prompted a, a a person to think about what they've just seen i think that that's that's doing some good whether it's positive thoughts or negative thoughts it's still it's better than being just yeah. a nothing at the end of it. So in my 20s, I was a filmmaker um, and I made a feature film and it won a bunch of awards, which was very nice. And my Ooh. absolute... <laughs> yes, I, d I directed for a while when I was younger and uh, film is really hard. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it we played at the, uh, the Athens Science Fiction and Fantasy Festival and we won an award there and it is my favorite award. And I have awards for this for best film, best director, best writer, which I'm very proud of, but this is the audience controversy award. And it was the award for the film, it. which it divi which divided the audience most. And I was like, that is the award I'm proud of because no one left that cinema thinking meh, everyone left yeah. either loving or hating it. And I don't care if they hated it, great. I evoked a strong reaction. Oh, it's, yeah, absolute favourite award. <laughs> I can well, and I can, I can totally understand why. Yeah, it's fantastic. 
Yeah. I think yeah, I think more I think more people need to learn the art of storytelling. I think. Mm. And I, th I think yeah. I think it is something that people can learn. I think some people have it naturally. And obviously, I think it, it varies depending on your medium, what you're mm. trying to do. I, that, storytelling is, you know, something that's you talked about, kind of, you know, the, the you, you called it murder ballad in, in yeah, you know, <laughs> it's a phrase I've never heard before, but I think it's an amazing phrase. There's a bunch which of describes them. many kind of, you know, folk, kind of folk music, you kind of hear many mm. so like, that's a beautiful phrase to use now for that. And I think you know, storytelling is, is is as old as the hills. It's yeah, since I've been human, there've been people telling stories, mm. and I, so I think we kind of relate to that. But I think it's it's a skill that's I think potentially been lost. I mean, I, I, I had a, my when I was in the last year of primary school, we had a, a, there were there were issues with the school I was in and, and kind of thing. But one of the things that the teacher I had would sometimes do is we we on like an afternoon after other work had been done, he'd literally get people to stand up and say, right, okay, I can't want you to tell a story. And we would literally kind of yeah have to kind of invent on the spot. Of course, there'd be people kind of trying to get here because it would normally revolve around you know, kind of the, the people that were in the class and kind of yeah, oh, and people would be kind of. <laughs> and you certainly if you sort of mentioned then somebody in the class you'd be beaming because they were suddenly in the story and i didn't really think about it at the time but actually that's quite a a useful thing to have done in a way because mm. it built kind of confidence for sort of standing up and actually sort of doing that but it also it was kind of bringing in that element of creative thinking on the spot and storytelling and yeah not, not everyone could do it not everyone you know a lot of people didn't want to do it some people would kind of totally refuse to do it and the teacher didn't force anyone but it was i think a, a, a great thing yeah and 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 some people would never be able to do that but will be able to write a brilliant story yes and it's sort of there there is I don't know if if the art of storytelling is dying or if it's in a, evolving in a way we don't yet understand. Um, so really? my, my friend sent me a, a dip my toes into the furrow that is TikTok, which I'm sort of horrified and enjoying in equal <laughs> measure. Um, but I quite like making little videos because it's the opposite of my day job. It's, you know, quite quick and fast and down and dirty and there's something quite lovely about it. And my friend sent me a link to a whole TikTok channel the other day that was... It was this couple re renovating a house, but it was a narrative of how they, it was basically a horror story over like 20 TikToks. And it was them finding this box in the attic of this house they were renovating and just sort of the little uncoveries of what was in the box and then going and finding it, tracking it, trying to track down the original owner of the box from a letter that was in the box and then being chased by people to the airport. It was huge. It was epic. It was incredible. And it was told over like 30 second TikToks. And it was just like my brain wouldn't think of doing that. Um, mm. But that is yeah. an incredible new mode of storytelling. And I think, you know, TikTok is for about 90% of it a mess. And then about 10% of it feels like gold dust. And there are people <laughs> who are truly making something really incredible out of a wholly new medium. And I sort of am interested to see where people who can do that, where they go and what they end up doing with new technologies is kind of fascinating to me mm. i've generally stayed away from tiktok I, 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 
occasionally people share kind of TikToks, and of course you can you can see one that they shared. But I, I I'm still kind of a little bit reluctant based on the kind of the maybe the scaremongering. I don't know of the kind of yeah. Oh yeah, you're going to lose all your bank details to the Chinese government or, nah. or some other it, sort of hackers. And I think you know, I'm probably not important enough, and you know, there isn't enough money for them to worry about it. But, and I'm giving away my data all the time anyway on on lots of different things. So I've, I, We've all got a mobile. Yeah, They're tracking us yeah. already. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. You it, don't even need to have your local GPS on from the tracking. <laughs> it took me about three months before it became a place that didn't stress me out and send me into a panic attack every time I opened the app. <laughs> and it, it really, the algorithm on it is very good, but you really have to feed into it. So you have to tell it what you like. You have to follow things. You have to bookmark things. And once it gets the measure of you, it becomes, it starts suggesting those things. And it becomes quite a nice place to exist. Before that, I think I had the app on my phone twice and I opened it and got so stressed I deleted the app before I finally went, I'm going to try this, I'm going to commit. But it's, yeah, yeah there is, that. yeah, there's some people who are, it's, you know, people like people who go from TV to film or vice versa, or who go from books to film or people who are storytellers in one medium and then they go to a new one and they, it either works or it doesn't. And some people can make that transition. And I think some people can't. And there are people doing things with TikTok that I would never have considered as a way of storytelling. I like. I've, I've thought about it a few times in terms of kind of again brain constantly going kind of you know thinking ideas like you know thoughts from the tinkerage. Sometimes I think mm. sometimes you rather than kind of doing kind of you know trying to do or trying to do a sort of ten or fifteen minute or twenty minute kind of dialogue monologue rather than dialogue at, you know, about something, being able to just produce a thirty second to two minute thing. I think would would work really nicely with that, and and similarly with the kind of sort of tutoring that I'm sort of venturing into, that idea of maybe uh, for me, I mean, teaching for me was always about storytelling, and I would try and actually sort of take students along on a journey, and I'd also kind of I, I love the kind of sort of science history and things like that, so I kind of try and bring in stories about yeah things. So if I was talking about kind of um, Isaac Newton. You know, you're talking about electric shock, for example. You're talking about electric shock. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about kind of the times I've had electric shocks and, and things like that. You're mm. talking about sort of the damage it would do. Yeah. Or if you're talking about kind of yeah, hot air rising, yeah, actually talk about well, not just the classic kind of, oh, yeah, a, a, a hot air balloon, but talk about things like, you know, if you were stuck in an ice cave somewhere. Yeah, you're stuck out in the middle of something. You could dig yourself an ice cave, and you kind of you you actually sort of dig a uh, a channel, so you've got this cold sink. So you're actually higher up in the chamber, so that you don't kind of you get you can be yeah, ten degree difference in temperature, particularly if you have a little candle going or something. And just kind of you're bringing in those little stories that aren't in textbooks, that aren't just kind of mm. oh yeah, it's just mm. right. Okay, just learn this. And relating it to things that they might know about, you know, if you're doing Newton's second law, or talking about you know, sort of force equals mass times acceleration, talking about kind of your know, cars and motorbikes, and you know, how a motorbike accelerates so much better, um, just because it, yeah, it's got the, the, the power to weight ratio is, is, is so much better than for a car. And 
again, I think it's just something that's taking the little some of those little stories and actually putting them onto TikTok. I think mm. it could could work for me as a sort of a tutor, but also yeah. also there's an element of me wanting to. I've I've started thinking this this last week. I finished my marking this last week uh, that I've been doing exam marking, and I, I've really sort of been thinking about actually how. By the time I've done, I think I've marked close to 20,000 questions over the last month. And by the time you've done kind of, you know, maybe 10,000 of a particular question, um, or not a particular question, it would be 1,000 of a particular question, um, you kind of actually kind of, you start to see patterns of things like, this student has been taught by a specialist. This student has not been taught by a specialist. Or if they have been taught by specialists, it's not a very good one. And I think this kind of, for me, no longer being able to be in the classroom, I, I, I also want to try and find a way to maybe share some of the stuff that is in my head that might help other people become better physics how teachers. To, how to hack kind of that, that studying or that understanding of yeah. things. Yeah, I always... I think the kind of... The stories help solidify stuff in your head. But for me, one of the things... I used to be pretty good at maths and then I decided to do it for A-level and that was a big mistake. <laughs> and um, because A-level maths stops making sense. Um, it's a bit, yeah. And yeah. like a circle is no longer divided into 360 degrees, it's divided into 52 radons. And I turned around to the teacher and I, this is the way my brain works. I always needed to know why. So I could get behind a science concept if I knew why I could get behind sort of. And so I said to her, could you logically tell me why this is more effective than the other way? And she went, no, this is just how we do it. And I was like, I'm out. I can't. You have to explain yep. to me the reasoning behind this or I cannot I can't process it. And I think yeah. that sort of giving that story in that context actually really helps some people in that kind of processing moment where you're just going, this isn't going in. Oh, now I'm going to remember that story about the the ice cave, and now I know yeah. how this works. Oh, oh, context is the key, though, isn't it? Yeah. Having that, uh, you can you can produce metaphors all day long to try and redefine something in in a way that someone will understand the concept. But unless you've got the right context to make it fit them, it, it's falling on deaf ears. I think. Look, a classic, a classic one in, in physics. You've got Ohm's law, which is often expressed as v equals i times r. Now, strictly speaking, v equals i times r is not Ohm's law, but that's that's another sort of <laughs> yeah. Ohm's law it can day. be rearranged to form v equals i times r. V for voltage, half for resistance, i for current. You yeah, what? Where, where, it's like, that doesn't make sense. Uh, but if you explain to students, well, actually, you know, a lot of the kind of early study of electricity was done in a variety of countries and you had people like you know Voltaire and Ampere they were not English mm -hmm. and the I originally stood for intensity of current because that's how mm. they described it and when you say well that's how it was but we now we just call it current because actually sometimes it's useful to be lazy and if you're the right type of lazy, and you know, <laughs> the I has just stayed around because C is something linguistically efficient. <laughs> yeah. Linguistically efficient. 
I mean, Andy, you're reading a bunch of rebels just saying people should, you know, teenagers need to rebel and it's good to be lazy. I don't, they're going to get, get anarchy thing. <laughs> <laughs> get, the right, get the right sort of laziness. Yeah. Maybe that was my rebellion as a teacher. Yeah. You're just like, yeah, we're going to call it current, not intensity of current. <laughs> It's, it's like ISO, isn't it? The, the, you know, the, the, when you try and explain to someone that ISO is, is for starters, not using English, but is more likely to resemble the International Standards Organization, but not. You know, it's like it's that kind of like. <laughs> <It's absurd>. well, <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, DNA, yeah. the National Dyslexics Association. Sometimes uh, it's not quite what one. you think it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we should. Uh, I, 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 yeah. I might. I might get on TikTok at some point. But I think yeah. I, it, I definitely say invest some serious time in it before you decide to put yourself on TikTok. There is definitely a kind of building how you want TikTok to look for you before you want to start putting things out. I think there is that there is that other worry the, the time sink that it could be just in terms of that is oh, why I'm yeah, not watching all stuff. Oh, it it is easy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not less productive. I'm slightly less. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's also I think I really like it because for me for me the purpose of putting videos out and i don't i think i'd really struggle with youtube which is why i only occasionally put things on youtube because years of an editor have taught me that things must be perfect and so to put out a youtube video for me just is so hard it has got to be spot on it's so much so it it just never happens it never i've got actually got quite a few not quite finished youtube videos that never made it to youtube um and tiktok you know I, I, I get like a hundred views on things. I don't get like the TikTok views that get you money or the TikTok views that people care about, but that's not why I'm doing it. It's yeah. it, And I think if you can make it work for you in a way that's not, you know, I want the view count and I want to earn money from the TikTok creators fund. I think if, if people who go in with that, I think is probably soul destroying. But I think if you're just doing it because you have a nice idea and you want to put out little tidbits, then I think it's mm. it's quite fun. I think I think I think for, for me Instagram. I a few years ago, I I mean, people joke about the fact that yeah, oh look, Andy P's already liked these posts. Yeah, they came out thirty seconds ago. But he's already liked it because yeah, I was spending a lot of time. Instagram, yeah, I, I did a few, <laughs> quite a few times. I did. Um, but I, there's some days where I, I kind of, I only ever, yeah, I, I post every day. But I've got the daily drawing. So I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'll check and always respond to any comments that I get. But I don't, I may look at only one or two other people's lately. And I, I I've, I've got over the guilt because I, I was at one point feeling quite guilty about the fact that I wasn't actually completing Instagram every day. And I, I think for me, at the, the moment, Instagram... I know there are channels that I, I want to see, mm. and sometimes they get hit, they get they, they're not they're not shown to me, yeah, for yeah. whatever reason. And there's kind of there's a there's a bit of me almost wants to kind of write. I'm just going to write down a, a thirty 
accounts that I want to follow of people that are either producing amazing things that I really like or their their close friends, wipe everything out and then just rejoin to those kind of 30. Mm. So that I can complete it in a, a sensible amount of time and have that sense of satisfaction rather than kind of, you know, because I have, I have participated in the, they often find on Facebook, you know, they make a group. Some will go, mm. right, let's post, post their Instagram accounts and follow everyone else. And I've, I've taken advantage of that. I've got followers that from that means, but I've also followed other people. And I think almost I need to kind of maybe not follow some of those people because I just skip over them when they, they appear. I uh, do keep, I've, I've become a big fan of the, the mute button. Because you can follow people and still be a proud member of Followback and then mute their feed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, it's not and it's not that, you know, I don't like stuff producing, but there is so much stuff. Yeah. So and you, you just have you to go, I really want to see these 10 people and I'm going to mute everyone else. So I'm still I can still go to their accounts. I can still find them. I can still chat to them, you know, but I'm not having that scroll of like an hour to try and get through everyone that's there and still not seeing everything so yeah i've become a, a big because it's it's the nice it feels like social media etiquette doesn't it if someone follows you you follow them back <laughs> like you should follow I them back. i don't always i don't always i have there are times when i haven't if um, it's a personal account i won't when it's just like yeah. joe blogs off the street and his holiday photos i don't tend to follow them. Yeah. when it's a maker who i might run into at some point i'm like i should follow it back yeah yeah <laughs> so it's it's etiquette isn't it but then you just you do get overwhelmed and you do have to limit it somehow i um i got a new phone the other day and before i transferred my sim card over i went through and i my contacts and i deleted everyone who i don't speak to or don't know who they are <laughs> and i've <laughs> I've got contacts in there that are 20 years old from when I sort of first had a phone. And mm. it's just they've gone through SIM card and SIM card. And I'm like, I haven't spoken to this. And people were like, I don't know who you are. And so I was clicking on kind of the WhatsApp link, going through, looking at the photo, going, nope, still don't know who you are. It's very liberating. <laughs> I can well imagine. It's, that, it's, it's when you're then in a group and you kind of go, why half my WhatsApp folk now no longer got their name on it's just but half them, I'm, I'm in some groups I don't save everyone whose groups I'm in I'm like if I'm not going to chat to you independently of the group I'm not saving your number so I, yeah. so I have quite that, a few of those groups key. already yeah, that's, that a couple of that's times. the marker isn't it is when, when you end up chatting to them individually that's when it's okay to then save them when you can't that's when they're your friend not just a friend of a friend I, I've had it recently with um you know, when you go through and just check to see if any other new people that are in your contacts have suddenly got WhatsApp now. Um, or like when you're trying to add people to a group and it just mm -hmm. uh, it comes up to a big list of other people. And then there's people whose WhatsApp name has come up and it hasn't matched what I've got them in as a contact. And I, I think, well, hang on a minute. I, I, I put this person in as a contact 10, 15 or more years ago. And it's transferred through Google account and through through like from old Windows phones back in the day, and it's sort of coming along and along and along. And they've obviously got rid of that phone and that number ten years ago, but it's still there as a contact. So I've, I've you know, it's 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 in another part of the world with a completely and utterly different human being at the end of it. I've still got the contact stage. <laughs> 
Yeah, you might want to get rid of a few of those. Because <laughs> I've just accumulated so many of these things over the years. It's, yeah. like, it's one of those, like, it's an active decision to say, right, I'm going to sit down for two hours and go through this one job and do that. It wasn't equipped. And, like, because I worked on film sets for quite a few years, you would end up, you know, with a crew that you would have... 30 to 60 people that you would have to call and you would need to be able to contact at a moment notice so i've just got like john first assistant director and i'm like what film was that on and i did definitely by the end of time i'd started putting what film it was on in like the company name so i knew what but it means that i've got loads of people who i talk to once on a job and have never needed to contact again and have just never deleted well they, they might contact you at some point yeah, but I don't work in film, so I really don't want them to contact me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a healthy lifestyle. I don't want to go back. <laughs> so if you don't work in film, what sort of video editing are you doing now? Well, now I work in uh, online video games broadcast journalism. So <laughs> I do... Okay. I do list features of things like, you know, the top 10 video games shooters or the top 10 best adventure RPGs, or I do that kind of thing for multiple people, yeah. um, which is fine. Thinking <laughs> <laughs> about a yeah. lot of job satisfaction there. <laughs> you know, I... I, I and I think a lot of people who are makers have this. And I was talking about shiny new project syndrome with someone the other day where I, I worked as a, you know, I worked in film for a long time. And then towards the end of my film career, I was, I was editing feature films and then I moved to Bristol and sort of started working in corporate and was then worked in uh, video games and journalism. And there is nothing anyone can throw at me as an editor in that line of work that is in any way challenging now. Um, and that's, that's not, it's not big headed. That's a 15 year career. Um, it's sort yeah. of, it's, it's, if, if you gave me a feature film, it would, I, there'd be something challenging. If you gave me a TV series, there'd be something, challenging. but I've now milked this career for all the challenge it can offer. And I'm not someone who can sit and keep doing the same thing when it's stopped being challenging. So, um, yeah, trying to make the transition into just making things cool entirely fair uh, so do you, but video do you editing pays would... really well <laughs> yeah there's all that kind of sort of that there's that all that little carrot isn't there of, yeah um, the and it funds the making it, it funds the fun yeah, it's it's yeah. The last couple of years, it's been funding the fun, and it's now kind of that. Can I can I just can I fund the fun through through the fun? Yeah. Yeah, trying to find that balance for someone to continue just paying you the wage, and you're not actually doing the work anymore. I've, I've not. Kind of reached that <laughs> I, I don't need them to pay me. People can pay me to make things. That's fine. <laughs> well, yeah, but it, it's that kind of like you know. It, it, mm. If they can continue just paying you for a little bit while you kind of get established, then you know it's it, it's like Fight Club, isn't it? Where you know it kind of you know gains the wage to do the yeah the the other projects. Yeah, it's about that. It's a balancing act. It's, it's getting on. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we, we did have so a you... comment earlier actually in the in the chat about the uh, the, the pattern. Is it going to be released soon? It's from uh, from Redsmith. It's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard because I think as well because I made it in such a flurry. I didn't um, pattern it as well as I, I. I patterned. I patterned the dragon. So I was like, mm -hmm. great, I can make a pattern. What I didn't realize was how many changes I made to the pattern on the fly in the four days as I was constructing it. So it uh, is yeah. nothing like the pattern. Um, and yeah, I. It is still an ongoing project. I am, you know, I have a makerspace down the road and we've been chatting about doing some like um, vacuum forming some like plastic shapes to create the structure of it and kind of doing oh, some bits and bobs like really? that and kind of doing a, a laser cut like wood base for the internal structure and then just trying to work out how something with quite a lot of moving elements and quite a lot of complex shapes can be easily produced on a less bespoke scale. Uh, is there's a lot of I just like making things if someone else could do the product design that would be great <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make weird things I, I, I make bone harps and dragons that sit on your shoulder I don't actually <laughs> you know sort of kits and are the great book and, you. and the book <laughs> that's on that side of yeah. um <laughs> Kits are great, and I would really love to make some because it would be a really nice way to uh, make money from the cool things I make. But I do get bored as soon as I've done a thing, and I think the mm -hmm. kind of the product design element of something is, if you're highly creative and you always want to be making something new, it's really hard to sort of push yourself to do that. So I, it it is in progress. It is still happening. It's just going to take me a bit longer. <laughs> You kind of need an intern, yeah, who who will kind of do the documentation for you. Yeah, mm. yeah, and it's sort of like the easy as well. Like the easiest way to do it and to work it out would be to take apart the dragon. Uh, <laughs> which... I'm definitely hearing you need a second dragon. <laughs> yeah, I think I definitely. I well. A thirty-second dragon at this point, but yeah, it, it's the easiest way to do it would be to destroy that, um, and it's a big part of me that doesn't want to do that. <laughs> Rightly oh. so, I would say. Yeah, yeah, it's the sort of that backwards engineering is harder than kind of taking something apart and working it out from there. So yeah, still a work in progress, but it is uh, it is happening. I was hoping you'd just forget. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you'd forgotten, and I could just come back in a year and go, "Yeah, I made it." <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, mean, I was going to ask you know, if if you went kind of if you go full time maker, mm. are you thinking kind of? And this could of course be a combination of things. You know, kind of doing custom pieces for people, kits and plants. Producing videos and obviously, yeah, that, that's a, a monetizable thing. You know, the whole kind of because you stream on Twitch. I, I did stream on Twitch. I really, I, I started during. I started just before the pandemic with a friend of mine who was already a streamer. And actually, what I found was it was a lot easier when I was streaming with someone else. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really realize until I made Moco how much 
streaming had kind of been holding back my making because of the admin of it all. You are managing a stream. You are interacting with people, which I love. I love my community. I love chatting to them. But there is one eye on the laptop, talking back yeah. to people, working out what the questions are, making sure all the tech is working. I could never get into that flow state of, oh, I've made something. I've made something great. I, and I found that level of interaction actually quite exhausting. So I would make for a couple of hours while streaming, get to the end of it and you know, not continue making, I'd just crash. And then I'd come back to the next room and go, oh, I haven't made any progress on this make. It's actually not where I want it to be now. So yeah, if I, you know, got big enough that someone else would manage the stream, great. <laughs> but yeah, doing the kind of, I, I have uh, my setup. Uh, if there's anyone watching who used to watch my Twitch streams, they've seen a picture of my setup, which is ridiculous, but it's part of me that is still a filmmaker and so when a shiny piece of kit goes on sale i have to buy it um, <laughs> and last year i i helped uh crowdfund a piece of kit called the marble orbit and it is is above me and it is a huge like double armed thing that rotates and okay has Ooh. has a camera on it it's such overkill for what i use it for but it means you can do like time lapses around product shots and things um, Ooh. So there's some really lovely things about it. But what it means for me is that I can put two cameras on something I'm working on, have them running the full time and not have them interrupt the fact that I'm making. And there's not even mm. a tripod. I can walk around my desk. I can just there are just cameras floating from the ceiling. And that's sort of been that sort of means I can just film things while I'm making. I don't have to think about it. And then at the end, I go, oh, I've got eight hours footage. I'll do a time lapse on TikTok. So yeah, that's, yeah, so less of the streaming. Um, I do, I love the um, Kofi and Patreon model. I love the idea that artists can have patrons again and yeah. people can just go, I like your work, I'd like to support you. And if you give me bonuses, that's wonderful. I really like that model. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really beneficial for artists. Um, so yes, uh, but um, kits would be fun. But I, I don't know how many of my design product skills will actually work. There's a, you know, I've done a couple of things. I've done a template. There's a TARDIS template on my Kofi, which is free to access if anyone wants to make their own TARDIS. Um, and uh, functioning, fully functioning. I mean, mine has <laughs> mine has a light in it that properly does this as flashes and the door opens. It's not bigger on the inside. I did struggle with that bit. Oh, <laughs> But you could put mirrors or something. You could put screens inside and make it look bigger if you really wanted to. Um, Does it travel through space and time? or? I mean, it has moved around our house a couple of times. <laughs> Close enough. By itself? Um, uh, I've never... <laughs> my, my husband has a habit of putting things in surprising places to make me laugh. So I don't see the movement. So yes, sometimes. Um, kits would be fun. I'm currently working on... Um, I'm casting. I've delved into the world of casting. So I've got an army of like 10 of these now, mm, uh, which is fun. Um, so the idea of being able to make something bespoke and then make a bunch of them that you can sell, uh, casting makes that not as arduous as it could be. Um, mm. So that's something. No, the, 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 the big thing, would you like to hear about the big secret project that I'm, designing oh yeah 
Yes, please. <laughs> So I'm trying to design and it's currently in with a funding bid. So we'll see what happens because it would need a bit more of my time than I can currently dedicate. Uh, it's called the Museum of Impossible Things. And it will be a touring pop-up exhibition initially that looks just like a real museum, but presents fantastical beings and objects as real history and is multi-sensory interactive so people can interact with these fantastical creatures and things. That's amazing. So, yeah, that's... And if that could, you know, just making exhibits and touring the country with something fantastical that people can come and visit, if that could be my life, I'd be very happy. That'd be very, very cool. I, I'm, so it's, you know, the book, but on a much bigger scale. I was going to say, is, is, is it based on the, the development of the, the book? Now, the book has been mentioned a couple of times, but obviously some people aren't being able to <laughs> see this. So this is the book of? Uh, it's called Ragnarok Retold. So it is a retelling of the Norse myth of Ragnarok, and it is an interactive book and sculpture that is... Uh, yeah, written in runes, read via an augmented reality app. Um, the tree and dragon that it kind of rests upon interacts with the book as the story is told so that they, they come to life as the story reaches the parts that they are relevant to. It's so freaking cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's Very on YouTube. <laughs> it, is. it is. It We'll have to link the video specifically because it is just... Yeah, I've just, I've just written down to... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think... Um, that is the thing when I made it that felt most satisfactory as a kind of combination of all the skills I had as a maker of kind of, I can code, you know, I'm quite technical, but I love taking that technical, like going, this has an augmented reality app, but it's also made mm. of clay. And it's also a physical book yeah. that you can hold, but you can't read it without a phone. Like that kind of combination of tech and traditional craft, I really like doing that. And I really like, getting lost in an experience and people being able to sort of go into something and look at something and go, oh. <laughs> so it, It's a yes. really, really nice way of, because like augmented reality stuff when it came out was kind of, it was it was aimed at kids and it was, you know, bring your, your battle card to life with a, you know, a picture on your phone on the, on the table. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, nowhere near using it to the, the kind of the creative potential it's given so to have yeah. something like that, that that's that's bringing accessibility to something that is uh you know effectively like a, a a piece of history in that sense you know and bringing that into something that's that's you'd see maybe in a movie like a a, a big fantasy epic you know, to have this like, you know, kind of uh, living storybook that's reading it to you. And it, it's bringing, uh, you know, something that you would see in a fantasy film into the real world that someone can actually look at and see and experience. Which mm. I think it's just a really, really wonderful bit of creativity. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I, I was watching it. I was watching it earlier as well. And you, you say the variety of skills that are in it. I, I think I lost mm. count of the number of different sort of maker modalities that were, were, were within that project, and I, I, I think it's just—I think it's amazing. I, I, I just, 
yeah. I mean, to give uh, people regular listeners will know that kind of yeah, you know, I, I kind of rate videos based or not rate videos. I normally watch videos at two times speed, and <laughs> quite often I'll kind of I'll start a video off and then I'll kind of go, this seems a bit slow, and I'll just I'll just kind of three hour. Oh, I haven't dipped it up to two times speed. I watch the entire thing at one time speed. That, that, that's and very high praise. That's a compliment. Yeah, that's it's, really... yeah. <laughs> it, it's just it's just kind of yeah, it's just kind of. I mean, obviously you have fantastic video editing skills and you've got storytelling skills, but you've also then got this amazing project which covers a huge number of making skills. <laughs> and produce work. And it's like, yeah, more people should be watching this. It, yeah. Well, more people, I think more people should be experiencing it and that's why I want it to be mm. a, a pop-up exhibition. And I think there's something very, you can get turned off by it being too clinical if like mm. someone you know i knew about 3d printing i knew about coding i knew about augmented reality and i built this when i was i did this making it course and my local makerspace got some funding to basically run a course getting women into digital skills and it was three months and it was three days a week so it was it was oh, wow. intense mm. um and it was you know a bit tough around work but it was amazing and it wasn't, you know, someone telling me about 3D printing or me seeing a 3D printed object. It was me actually holding a, holding things that had been 3D printed and seeing augmented reality apps and having these artists. Artists came in and gave talks before they sort of taught us how to do things. And so, you know, someone who came in from Bristol and she built an umbrella that sensed the kind of air quality and would change colours based on what the air quality was as you were walking around Bristol. <laughs> like that kind of practical application where it's just it's it stops it it makes it tangible mm. and i think for me dragons and storytelling and I'm, I'm i live in i live in fantasy worlds i grew up in fantasy worlds i love that and i think if if you can people can walk into a space and believe for a minute that fantasy is real and then find out that that was all achieved through these different technologies and these different crafts that's the way to inspire people to go and make things absolutely absolutely and i think that's the thing is growing up seeing the development of you know like we talked about before you know with like props and uh special effects and then going into more computer generated stuff and mm. watching this kind of like evolution you know mentioned like marvel epics and stuff before you know being uh you know like the, the, the first sort of marvel film being played and seeing mm. things like the um, the the safety no, not safety mechanism, but the, the 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 mechanism on his sword where it yeah kind of out to, you know if you don't flick the switch, uh, you know take your hand off kind of thing, and that being like you know practical effect, someone's actually made that as a thing, whereas now mm. that would just be CG'd in or you know whatever else. So to to, to bring that back to say no, look, we we can actually make these things. And you know we can we can use these modern technologies and these infinitely more accessible now, you know things like laser cutters and CNCs and three D printers and using these digital skills to take something you know because like now someone could make a similar book and mm. or a similar concept you know it's 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 something that is actually achievable and that that video in and of itself could inspire someone to to make their own version of something mm. they might not have known it was even possible yeah 
what time we're living in. It's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've said it a bit when we were talking about films, but it's that that what really fascinates me is is that augmentation of things with technology. Mm. Is I, I don't just want to go 3D print everything because, and people kept saying to me when I was making the bone harp, you could just 3D print this. You've literally bought a model of a spine. You could 3D print the whole thing. I was like, no. <laughs> but it was really nice having the 3D model that I could then use as a reference for building it. And actually, yeah. you know, CG doesn't have to mean we don't use puppets anymore. And just because we love puppets doesn't have to mean we don't use CG. We can we can have both. They can ex coexist in a really lovely harmony. Absolutely. We can create better things if we put them together. Better stories. Better stories. Yeah, it comes back down to that, the storytelling and knowing how to tell a story using the different mechanisms that are available to us mm. and how mm. they might work, work well together. Uh, and I think there's an element of sort of, that's where kind of perhaps an element of genius, I don't know if that's quite the right word, can prop into kind of if you get the right person who has knowledge of different things and they can bring them together and just produce something that just is so much more magical i mean i think of something like soph where mm. she took that kind of you know, she had this broken canvas and so what she do? she oh, let's just stick a bunch of bamboo skewers through it and stick some balloon like shapes on the end and suddenly we've got this painting that's that's also yeah. three-dimensional I was literally talking about that today. I was at a work barbecue and worked and wearing this top, and um, a colleague of mine was like, what, "What's that top? It looks Marvel." And it's, <laughs> so I was explaining so explaining the the three D canvas and and that kind of thing of, of that taking something that someone someone else might have thrown in the bin and turning it into something else that's that's bringing in different you know flat 2d painting but bringing in then something that that brings it out brings it into that 3d and that's kind of that augmentation yeah, so, of two different skill sets yeah and something that you know people it's it's going back to that you're not taught in school are you no one presents you with a canvas and goes why don't you stick a sculpture coming out of the canvas they tell you to paint a picture on the canvas and it's that yeah. sort of god what would people come up with if we didn't limit them in that way <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. If if we actually give them all the tools and we present them with all the different ways they can use them, then go. You can make this, or you can make this, and see what happens. Not I, you can't make that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I could have another rant to get about kind of the, <laughs> the, 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 the restrictions that things like results place mm. on education. Yeah, and that kind of that need for results, and yeah, that kind of think of yeah, a school and a teacher is judged by the results they get. And I, I mean, I haven't taught mostly in grammar school, and you know, teaching things like A level physics, you know, we to say kind of limit that yeah, you will not achieve a good grade in A level physics unless you have a good grade at GCSE in physics and maths. And we yeah. set limits on those. And, you know, yes, we would get, even with that, those limits, we'd still get a range of results. 
because that was still yeah it wouldn't be that yeah you must only have using the, the modern or the, the, the current uh, grading system you, you can only get on if you got a nine yeah we used to take kind of range and you know, we'd get a range of results out of that we'd get some students you get some yeah. students never do any work and they would get a u and yeah but then you get a b c d e you get a range but like having a grammar school most of it was a's and b's and we'd get yeah at least 50 percent a's and b's and that was kind of expected but as a kind of somebody who wants people to do kind of physics and get to know that actually physics isn't just for those students who got the best grades i was always kind of not torn because i also had that responsibility as a head of department but mm. that kind of guilt almost that kind of you know there were students who maybe could have got a d or an e and it, it wouldn't be something that maybe would get them into university without doing a foundation course but actually it's still a great achievement but they were almost cut out of and the same for every other subject as well mm because they they weren't expected to get you know one of the, the better grades and, and there are you know the, the people who perform terribly in exams or aren't good at writing but have all the knowledge absolutely. in their head and oh totally and 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 they are they are for want of a better phrase screwed by the system mm. because the, the nature of the system is and, and and likewise you also get the opposite you get people who have great exam results because they are able to cram everything in and then regurgitate it but they don't necessarily understand it mm. and there is, there is an argument that says well if you understand something you will be able to kind of answer it but it's also particularly the way a lot of exams are structured if you've got a good memory if you've got a good working memory if you've got the ability to sort of take something in and short term then spit it back out again you don't necessarily have to have good understanding mm -hmm. or great understanding to actually get really good exam results and it's that flawed system but i think yeah you're right we we don't perhaps necessarily give all young people actually we could say adults as well a knowledge and understanding of all the possible tools that are available to them and you know what they can do i was like you, you your video ed, the video editing that you do now if somebody said to me what what where does a video editor work i would say well film and tv mm. and, and possibly kind of you know those those corporate videos you know john cleese goes in and you kind of go to a business thing and you, it's like mm. john cleese telling you how great it is to do something you know or like a first aid course or something like that but yeah basically it's it's tv or film yeah i would think that there would be that I yeah I think I mean you can't offer it it's really hard because you can't tell everyone every option can you it's just well, too broad <laughs> but I, I sort of think I think you need to be in, people need to be encouraged to pursue you know I think at school there is a very much a fit into the box and I think I'm, I'm gonna get on my feminist high horse for a minute here but it is getting better but um when I was a kid when I was seven I was given a woodworking toolkit and it was the best thing I ever had. And I wasn't very good because no one was teaching me woodworking, but I love chopping bits of wood in half. And then I... Nobody's uh, very good when they first start. Exactly. Yeah. And then I moved in with different family members who did not approve of a young girl doing woodworking. And I sometimes wonder if I'd been encouraged from seven onwards with woodworking, mm. where on earth would I... like? 
the skills that I've had to pick up quite later in life and go, oh, I quite like making, oh, I'm, I'm going to pick up all these skills now. If I'd been encouraged in those from when I was seven, mm. I'd be building castles by now. <laughs> well, there's the other, the, the other question there of, of did that little bit of time then give you a bit of a, 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 a kind of a boost for later in life of, of having that kind of primer back then was enough to, to, to give yeah. you this push where you are now yeah so it, i think maybe there's a sort of when someone shows an interest in something we have to then give them the options in that interest Absolutely. rather than going oh well now you're interested in that thing you will now follow the prescribed course to go into that thing which is this narrow channel i think we have to kind of go oh well you showed an aptitude for woodworking have you thought about you know design here's how architecture works here's how dt works here's how you know, people whittle. Here's how people build things with metal. Do you want to try forging? Kind of like we need to encourage people to pursue those sparks. And I think yeah. if those those sparks, you know, I think you get a lot of those sparks at school that don't fit in the school system. Or and all through life actually, there's mm. life is designed to work. The world is designed to work one way. And if you have a spark that's kind of outside of that, you, you have to do it on your own. And that takes a lot of energy and a lot of kind of gumption to do it on your own. Yeah. And, and, and quite often to kind you don't of know drive where, yourself. Yeah. And, and, and you don't tend to know what you don't know. So, you know, no. something like, like you're saying, you know, are you showing an aptitude for woodwork? Have you tried all these other things? It's then like, well, you might go into something that would be requiring you to do pricing and accounting and communicating and marketing so maybe incorporate some of these as well and, and it's it's that uh it's that understanding isn't it of like you mm. you might start pursuing one thing and not realize that to to pursue that avenue you also need to look at these other branches off as well like how they say now to be a, you know any kind of maker you actually need to be a social media genius and a content creator which i think we're all bored of yeah. <laughs> or so, rapidly get big enough that you can employ someone to do it for you yeah none of us thought we would have to be good at social media or content creators when we started doing the things we love doing i don't think that wasn't the plan quite often social media is driving us all crazy at the same time uh, yeah yeah, it's. I think I think it also puts up barriers in some in many mm. different ways. I I I I've got stacks of projects and things that haven't happened because I still kind of have this thought idea that make a good video. But if I do it, if I'm if actually if I do this thing, it's a, it's a one shot because either I've got to kind of yeah it's a repair or it's something that I can't afford to buy another of. And I kind of think, yeah, but it would make a good video. But I've, I've not been in, for various reasons, sort of time, willingness. Logistics. Kind of logistics all sorts of things. Not really want to make a video. But this yeah. thing would make a great video. I bought a new calculator a couple of weeks ago. It's still in the box. Take it out of the box. Take it out of the box. We're live. Yeah. We're you're streaming. On, Andy, you're on video. <laughs> take it out of the box. <laughs> I know, it's, just like, it's completely and utterly daft. But 
this is yeah. one of the things that's happening in my head for well every year now even longer it's kind of you know, the number of projects i've got they're just building up because they'd make, I'd make a damn good video that would and ultimately if it if it doesn't make if you don't end up making the project then not only did it not make a good video but it didn't make a project <laughs> or like the calculator still hasn't used it still hasn't even come out of the box is this because you want to do an unboxing of the calculator just unbox the calculator <laughs> Put it back in a box again. It's completely lovely <laughs> daft. It's completely lovely daft. But yeah, so, is, yeah, I just rearranged. I mean, it's it's even. I'm a hoarder, and I like you do get into the, and I'm a hoarder of things that I think might one day be useful. And I'm I'm going to say about they proved to be useful about twenty five percent of the time. It is a lot more that I've just kept things for years and they have 25%. no use whatsoever. You're 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 a good rate. The high rate. Yeah. I, I <laughs> use a lot. I, I'm a like I used um, little yogurt pots to build test automata at one point. I'm really good at like building stuff out of junk, um, but that means I'm really good at keeping junk. Um, I was just like you, transferring and just clearing half the junk out of my just, just, to... just have a junk making. <laughs> but it's, it just then the junk accumulated, and I just reorganised my entire room and I got rid of so much stuff because I was just like it is on every surface now, and at the point where it's on every surface, I can't make anything. Mm -hmm. So it is there is no point keeping the junk to make the things if the junk is stopping you making. <laughs> but it's just like, junk. It's not good junk. It's gone now. <laughs> so many people said they've packing foam. I so I still have loads, but I got rid of about half of my stash. Just going. Those bits can go. I, I did. I actually used some saved packing foam the other day oh. for a legitimate, useful, real pair. I, I was fully justified in the well box of packing foam that I put up in the loft the other week. <laughs> I took two pieces of it back down. Uh, see, that's the problem as well. So, uh, my husband and I bought this house about a year and a half ago, and um, we went from sort of a one bedroom flat and we now have a four bedroom house <laughs> yeah. and an attic. It's just like <laughs> ah. project, rooms. project rooms. And it's, it's alarming how quickly we filled it in that we were in a one bedroom flat. And I mean, we had some stuff in storage, but we're now in a four bedroom house and it doesn't look like there's any space left. It's just stuff. Stuff. Also, the book may be lovely. It takes up a lot of room. Yeah. <laughs> Where is that meant to be stored? <laughs> it's quite tall as well, so I keep trying to put it on top of bookcases and just the tree starts crumpling. I'm like, no. <sighs> I, I, I must admit, I, I have a few times I've, I've made a project purely for the express purpose of getting the parts out of the way. So I've, I've, I've used the things to make a project that I, I don't need, I don't want. I wanted to make, but I don't want to keep it. But I know I didn't want to throw the bits out, so I've, I've made the project and then given the project away immediately to just get it out of my way. It was, that made more sense to me than throwing the parts. Yes. We're a strange breed. Yeah, but it's that kind of like, here, I made a thing. It's your problem now. Yeah, I do. Um, I, actually, one of my friends has a lot. Uh, they are beautiful, and I'm really proud of them. I've got a giant um, like phoenix that's about 
two, three feet tall and a dragon that matches it that's three feet long. And they were my friend's Malaysian and got married a couple of years ago. And in Malaysian, instead of a, a stag and a hen, you have a dragons and phoenixes, which that's is cool. way better. But they're yeah. on everything. Like they're at the wedding. They're on re- wedding invites. They're usually represented in the decorations. So in the, you know, her husband's English, so they had a church wedding, but flanking the altar with a giant dragon and a phoenix. Oh, fantastic. I and they're lovely. Like a Harry Potter themed wedding almost. <laughs> And they're lovely, but I was really glad when they were out of my house and now they live at her house. (laughs) (laughs) Every so often for birthdays, I'm like, can I make you something? And people are like, I've got enough stuff. And I'm like, but can I make you something? (laughs) I've got things I want to get rid of. Got some bubble wrap that could be the base for a paper mache sculpture. I'm sure I can do something. <laughs> so I, I I used to live in Bristol as well. Excellent. And, um, I was there for about twelve months, and when I first moved down there, not long after I moved in, um, we had a uh, Halloween party, and it was so I. Had a, unboxed a load of crap that I'd brought down from the northwest of England and the logical thing for me to do at that point was to uh, wrap myself in bubble wrap and packing tape and be a very weird abstract Pac-Man sure <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, t- I, I hung a uh, stainless steel walk around my neck and basically just kind of waved it around just going waka waka as this weird Pac-Man. Oh, so it wasn't just a Pac-Man; it was a pun Pac-Man. It was. It was a pun Pac-Man. That's beautiful. It was. It was glorious because it was just higgledy piggledy bits of bubble wrap just oh. taped to me, uh, and nobody could figure out what the hell was going on until I just went waka waka, and then it all kind of <laughs> fell into place. Oh, and those are the best few ones. Times I just got pushed. You know, get out kind of thing <laughs> we, um, because last year was our first halloween and we were sort of waiting to see you know uh, we live in quite a residential area it's kind of you know old council houses they all look identical and we were just sort of waiting to see you know how big does the street go because we saw for you know football how big the street goes that was quite insane they they don't go quite as big for the women's football but you can still tell it's going on the cheering is quite insane um and we were just like, how, how, you know, how big can we go for Halloween? How much can I make? And we had, I would say, about 150 trick-or-treaters. Nice. And we were like, okay, so we can go all out and it's fine. <laughs> and there are like, you know, people with googly eyes in the window and cobwebs all over the house. And we're like, okay, we can, we can push this. We can go a bit mad. My husband is very good at coming up with ridiculous ideas that I will then have to construct. Yeah. So, you know, projections, like motion control projections, so that as soon as someone crosses, you know, through our driveway, like there are ghosts in the windows and things. I was like, that'd be amazing. I can make that happen. I've got motion sensors. <laughs> Bristol is absolutely the place to do that, though. Because um, yeah. the guy I used to work with, he, he was very much into Halloween and he would hide a PA system. He was a DJ as well. 
he would hide a PA system in his front garden um, and dress it all up and everything, and then basically mm -hmm. sit by the window and then be speaking spooky stuff at anyone that walk into the garden. Um, and yeah, that, that's that was down in Bristol. Yeah, it's uh, it's a special place. It is. It really is. You say, you say that knowingly, yes. Well, mm. I, you know, I, I, yeah, yes. I think you, <laughs> I don't think you, I don't think you can live here and not experience it. I think yeah, you kind totally of agree. <laughs> is a place where, and it, it is unlike because I'm I moved here from London and I sort of I um mainly because I'd run out of money and I had a friend in Bristol who went come here. I was like fine. That's uh, why I moved to Bristol, <laughs> not from London, but from the yeah, people just go come to Bristol and you're like, all right, fine, I'll give it a try. And you, there is, as soon as you come into Bristol, there's just a different vibe. It's like everyone's there on really holiday is. and just living their best life. I was like, is something going on? No, it's just how it is. Okay, fine, what? And I've been here, what, 13 years now, which is the longest I've lived anywhere. So I'm very happy, very happy in mad Bristol. We must have moved to Bristol around the same time. Okay, yeah. Because <laughs> I moved so, out of Bristol about 12 years ago, and I was there for, for about 12 months. It may have crossed paths. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> it's big, but it's not that big. <laughs> yeah, I mean, once you've been, you know, if you've drank at the Crown and been through St. Nick's Market, yep. that pretty much covers it. <laughs> so, so my husband is Bristol-born and bred, well, he's he lived just outside of Bristol, but he he he's lived within a thirty mile radius for his entire life, and so he, we drive through Bristol, and he goes, "I used to live there. I dated a girl who was there. I went to a bar." It's just like, stop. You you've been everywhere. We know it's fine. <laughs> I the, the, the Bristol favourite and um, Rajani's. Oh, you haven't lived if you haven't been to Rajani. <laughs> that is that exactly that because I used to live on uh, on the road that Rajani's is off. Mm -hmm. So that oh. is the um, I just wander down there for snacks or for lunch or stuff like that. Okay. And it is... so for the, for, I'm I'm aware of this, but for the benefit of our <laughs> listeners who don't live in Bristol, perhaps live abroad. As we do have yeah. listeners it's in various countries. An Indian run mart that sells yeah. everything. If you take and... the kind of the, the Indian corner shop style of things, of like finding weird and wonderful stuff you didn't know existed, and then scale and that make it to a Yeah. <laughs> You'll go there thinking, I want some snacks, and you'll come away with some recycled glassware and a paddling pool. Like, it, yeah. It, my, I, I'm doing a little build like based off a video game character for my friend's uh, son's birthday, and um, I was like, oh, I need to get like a, I need to get the right size plastic jar for this. And she was like, Ranjani's? And Echo's just trying to talk in there as well and it seems to think she's involved <laughs> but yeah i was like i need i need the right size jar she was like ranjani's i was like yeah ranjani's they'll have a snack in the right jar and i can just purloin yeah. I, i've sent a couple of uh, other maker friends to there when they've sort of been near bristol and i was like right here's the address go here thank me later 
Yeah, if you're a maker in Bristol, it's Ranjani's and the Scrap Store. <gasps> I miss the Scrap Store. Oh, so the Scrap Store is technically the children's Scrap Store, but don't let that put you off. Um, so <laughs> the Scrap Store is, they basically, you know, anytime any big company is throwing out rubber bands or that foam packing material or plastic odds and ends or, you know, like greebles, just anything or paint of any type or they take it and then you can buy it. Oh, that's I, love, it I love scrap stores. We haven't got any, <sighs> we haven't got one down here at all. And we haven't, make spaces are pretty slim down here as well. But the idea of a scrap store, when I lived in Plymouth, there was a small one. And yeah, was, I mean, Plymouth, uh, I feel like sort of South Coast, sort of Plymouth, Brighton. I feel, I've never seen a scrap store in Brighton, but I feel like Brighton would have a scrap store. It feels like the kind of place. <laughs> <We'd have to. laughs> I would have those have things. I have a feeling they do. Yeah. <laughs> I do. It's just got that vibe. Yeah. Um, but the, there's also, which will be since you lived here, Jamie, it was Craft and More. Or well, Art and More opened, which actually Soph was at um, a couple of weeks ago, and I, it, she posted a picture of it, and I was like, that's Craft and More, I know. And <laughs> it is a, it's not a warehouse, but it is four or five floors of craft craft supplies. and you know you start on the ground floor and it's you know quite traditional it's got the calligraphy and the paints and the stamps and the nice things and then you go up and they've got all the graffiti spray paint cans and you know molds and then the next floor is like fabrics and wools and strings and wire and the top floor's got like floral arrangement things and weird glass bits and just it i can't go there without buying something and I I, ca- I went there once and I came back with a whole load of like stamping inks and I got home and I was like, I don't own any stamps. And I've just bought like 25 pounds <laughs> worth of stamping because they were so pretty. And I just came home with them. I was like, I don't, I don't own any stamps. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's such a wonderful, wonderful place to be. I, I, I would genuinely say anyone who's vaguely, crafty or makery or interested in interesting things anything that just isn't beige has to go and spend some time in bristol and we've just got, go wander it's an amazing we've got history. a robotics lab we've got a puppet place we've yeah <laughs> sorry andy it's, it's, it's got this amazing history and heritage and it's it's got an amazing engineering heritage as well mm-hmm. Yeah, mean, the amount of sort of yeah i mean uh somebody correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure concord was built in yep. bristol yes you can um, now have dinners in the hangar yeah rolls royce is still there I, I, when I was the mod is still up here <laughs> yeah yeah yes <laughs> It's, yeah, I was just, I, I, they we've got me down. friends who live in Bristol. Um, and my friend works for a robotics company, mm. um, has worked for a couple of different robotics companies. You know, making, I mean, one of the robots worked on is like essentially a, a snake. So no wheels, no kind of mechanism, no kind of means of transfer along other than kind of yeah a pressure is applied from one end almost like a hose being pushed out but this thing would be able to manipulate and move and go down through spaces that couldn't 
for use in the nuclear industry particularly oh, so if you go and retrieve and of course then you've got to, you've also got to make it essentially radiation proof yeah, yeah heavy radiation does a good job of making most electronics not work properly um and it has to be fail safe so if it does fail it's, it's not going to suddenly drop the vial of plutonium that it's or... just picked up or whatever <laughs> yeah but it's it's I haven't lived there, but I have seen it a few times. It is a place that I certainly enjoyed, and I'd, I'd like to spend a bit more time there, perhaps at some point. I'm overdue a visit. Let me know. Let me know. Yeah. <laughs> and if you visit Sir at Bristol, the sort of science hands-on centre. Yeah, um, yeah, at Bristol's great. There's also we've got a brand new thing which I am I'm so excited about. Um, it's called Wake the Tiger. If you are in any way interested in immersive experiences, this is something else. It's opening in about a week, and I, I've been following them for months. But it's the guys who designed Boomtown, the festival, mm. have designed an interactive, immersive world that you can walk around for an hour. Ooh. And it looks like something out of Alice in Wonderland on speed. It, it like I can't. <laughs> I can and believe yeah, that. It is, but yeah, that's opening. That's permanent, like a permanent space, and that's opening next week, and that looks phenomenal. Uh, yeah, their Instagram feed is just mind blowing. But you can send me a link to that later. Yeah, mm. yeah. I'll send you Wake the Tiger. Yeah, that sounds that sounds a bit like a, a kind of an attention grabber. So it might be time to sort of. Mm. Start oh, thinking yeah. about things that are grabbing our attention. Um, so I'll give you, give you that one for free. Anything else grabbing your attention? <laughs> uh, I, we just finished watching. I'm going to go into storytelling. Just finished watching the, uh, the Lazarus Project, which has been on Sky and is on Now TV. And is a really fun, intriguing, well-told take on kind of time travel. And the, you know, a group, the Lazarus Project, have found a way, there's a wormhole, which means they can reset time and go back to that point in time, but only within a year. Mm. And so they exist to stop extinction level events and nuclear war and things. And one of the first questions, you know, the lead character asked when he stumbled across the Lazarus Project is, why didn't you, you know, go back and stop the pandemic? And they went, we reset 16 times. How do you think we got a vaccine so quick? Oh, <laughs> nice. and it, it's got a really good balance of kind of that thing that a lot of the stories are doing now where it's really serious and intense and a thriller and then occasionally really funny <laughs> and yeah just a, a host of like uh, wonderful British actors that are not everyday faces but are people you've seen here and there and yeah mm. really loved that and uh the ending <laughs> if it doesn't get a second season i'll cry um but it's it's not a cliffhanger it's just one of those ones that makes you need more you want to watch more yeah yeah, yeah. you want to watch more so that's yeah that's brilliant and um making i have to shout out laura matthews um who yeah. is a wonderful articulated puppet maker and it's has Nottingham. just yeah yeah and is just I, I I don't think anyone else makes puppets the way she makes puppets and has just is working on a phoenix puppet at the moment where she's got the extra little feathers at the wingtips 
and they extend independently of the wings, which for people who are into birds is huge. And like the the I don't understand the control mechanisms. I can I've made one marionette in my life and I can barely get to grips with puppeteering that. Uh, to be able to do claws and legs and full flight and extra wing tips and a head and yeah and she is I I'm, I'm I patronize her on Patreon and just love her updates and seeing it's it's one of those makers that blows my mind and makes me think oh what could you do <laughs> <laughs> she was at the I, I wasn't there that year but she was at the 2018 Maker Central if mm. I remember correctly. And people were posting about it fairly quickly about her work. And I, I, I started following her just after that. And it is just amazing. Uh, Megs International did an interview with her mm. at one point as well, that's, I think that same year. And it was fascinating hearing kind of her sort of background and her sort of story. If I remember correctly, her mother was a, a biology teacher. Yeah, so she's got she a very, very strong... Artistic, she was very artistic herself, uh, Laura, but she had that input of nature study from a very young age, from kind of, sort of this, this biology teaching mother. So she has this great understanding of motion of limbs of different animals yeah. and also that attention to detail on that. Add then the creativity uh, her work is, is phenomenal yeah and she really i think it, it kind of embodies that making something organic from new technology because a lot of her designs are laser cut mm. but then she sands them and she works with them so much or she 3d prints things and then adds details on them so they all look so organic and most of them are made through laser cutting and you would never you know, you kind of have an image in your head of what laser cut art looks like, and this is not laser cut art. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's. I, I, I mean, yeah. For anyone who doesn't know it, I'll, I'm. I'm very. I will make sure there's a link in the the show notes because it's mm. worth coming and checking out. Yeah. yeah. Laura Matthews Art, and I think she is yeah, online. Yeah. yeah, with one T, if I remember correctly, for the Matthews. Yes, there is another artist who, who is the same, but with two Ts, I think, or the other way around, however she spells it. There is an artist who does paintings who spells it the other way. It's really, <laughs> you stumble across it, it, the wrong person a lot. In the Instagram search, it says followed by Andy Pugh and 54 more, so that's close enough. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, that'll be the one. Yeah, that'll be the one. Andy as the barometer. <laughs> Rocks, compass. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Either. Yeah. <laughs> Full of mercury, bit dense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any, any other ones, Becky? Or is that, is, any other I mean, attention grabbers? Really good ones there. Oh, I mean, there. I've. I've No, my uh, my I, I will say my attention over the last two weeks has been grabbed by the fact that it's been hot, and that's been the abiding thought. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, my attention has been afternoon. maintained by aircon. Yeah, <laughs> it's the uh, staying cool and keeping the hay fever at bay have been my abiding thoughts for the past two weeks. Yeah, yeah I, I struggled with keeping yeah. cool this week. I think most people. <laughs> 
Jenny, what about you? What's been grabbing your attention? Uh, today has been this work's barbecue. It's been a really nice day out because I've, I've spent so long uh, not being around people. It was a kind of a, an adjustment to get back to being around people again. Um, so that was, that was nice. Uh, but it's been quite a tech-heavy week for me this week, so I've been kind of interspersing it with random bits of YouTubery of uh, completely disconnected stuff like hot ones and. Isn't there bear grills on this week? I think. Who's sorry? Bear grills. Yes, it was bear grills this week. week. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, yeah, it's a <laughs> Yeah, he didn't. He didn't go for chicken wings. He uh, he <gasps> went at left field. So Interesting. Was, yeah. <laughs> it was. It's it's one to watch. Actually, it was pretty good. Yeah. Had, it's been some some big chunks of attention on things like the Marvel Universe, the, the announcements for uh, Phase Five. I was going to say is it Phase Five. Black Panther trailer came out. Yeah, among other things, kind of forever. That's good. Made me um, very emotional. But even more importantly, in in our household at the minute, is that uh, Lower Decks season three uh, has been oh. announced. The date for that, so that's very much looking forward to that. That's about it for me. Nothing, nothing specifically. <laughs> We've all of our usual friends have been doing wonderful things, and I know Andy's going to shout out the virtual craft festival. So. Because of course he is. <laughs> what about you, Andy? Uh, me, uh, not actually very much different from the last couple of weeks. Uh, did finish the exam marking this week, so that's done and dusted. Um, although I know I could chase them about the fact they've got their figures wrong for how many they think <laughs> I've marked. Um, but that's yeah, that's kind of a, a, a mute point at the moment. So I can be on the phone tomorrow. Uh, I have continued kind of trying to, or trying to, because I had much luck this week, getting things in place for the tutoring business. But hopefully, mm. we'll be up and running soon. There's a few things to still sort out, decisions to make, things to sort and source, etc. Um, and anyway, bookbinding yesterday uh, that's, that's probably the best thing. Are um, you going to be writing in your book bound book with your ink that you made on your ink making course? Probably, probably not. I might make oh. at some point. I want to make some other ink. My, I have a bit of an issue though. Kind of, I've made a few books. I still have some of them myself. Some have given away. I kind of have this kind of thing. I, I, I've got notebooks. I've got some notebooks that are probably ten years old because they're just too good to write in. <sighs> I have a few of those. We it's all like, have a few of those. Yeah, I'm, it's like. So I've, 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 yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to put in it, and I've kind of, yeah, I don't know whether what will get written in it. Yeah, I don't know. At some point, maybe. I, I do I feel need. like you need to go on a pen making course now. Well, I, I maybe pen making. Mm, you need to go and I, do I, some playing on a mini lathe. Yeah, I'd like mm. it. But with pen making. I'm not interested in just kind of making any old like slimline pens or anything like that, which is quite standard. Fountain pens. Yeah. I want to get back into using fountain pens. I like fountain pens. I haven't I written write, a long time. 
kind of 90% with a fountain pen. Um, nice. I only really write with uh, biro when sometimes notes when I'm making where water and paint are involved, because if you smudge mm. your notes and then you've lost the information, it is a problem. But when I'm sort of writing in notebooks, it's always in fountain <sighs> pen. Love fountain pens. I have yeah, a metallic to, one that just, oh. I used to mark a long time ago. I used to do my marking in fountain pen. Um, but then Parker, because I was using a, a Parker 25, mm. and Parker stopped selling red cartridges. Right. And they don't make them anymore. So I did then change over, because when you buy, a, generally buy Parkers, they will give you a um, self-refilling cartridge. Mm -hmm. So I do have that. But that is quite a pain compared to just having a, some spare cartridges in your, your briefcase mm. or, or the mm. like. Um, so I kind of I stopped. So I suspect my I have several fountain pens, nothing fancy, um, but I suspect that they're probably quite dried up. Um, oh, good, good scrub. You can usually get the ink yeah. flowing again. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, that, that, yeah, that's been it for this week. Um, so, but yeah, it's, uh, that's about it. And for some reason, I have a dog who appears to want to be uh, going out. So uh, <laughs> this might be a good point to maybe draw the conversation to an end. So, Becky, where um, can people find you? Uh, mainly on Instagram, um, but I'm now on TikTok as well. Um, and I am on Twitter. And I'm always Pepperdine Creations. Um, so you can find me everywhere as Pepperdine Creations. I am on YouTube, although I really don't post often. I will try and get better. But yes, Pepperdine Creations will find me anywhere. Instagram is probably the most reliable. Well, hopefully, hopefully people listening to this will go and find your YouTube channel and subscribe so that you can get up to that magic kind of year 100 and get that custom URL. So yeah. There's a kind of call to action for everyone. <laughs> so. Yes, if I get if, if many of you subscribe, then I'll start making content. How's that? I'll do it in reverse. That sounds even better. <laughs> that sounds, yeah, so everyone needs to now go and subscribe. Yeah. Definitely, right. definitely go and check out that book video to just see yes. why me and Andy have been so in all. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That will be linked in the show notes. Uh, so people can go, go along and I might even there's there's a I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but I've got it written down somewhere. There's a little kind of addition you can put on a YouTube link. So if somebody follows it, it doesn't just take them to the video. It kind of says first, subscribe. <laughs> okay. But maybe I'll, maybe I'll be a bit naughty and, and add Let's that. So that way. Don't get much of a choice. I mean, you can say yeah. no. Yeah, you can opt out. It's a, it's a nice way to kind of put, just save people the effort of having to look for the subscribe button. <laughs> Nice, nice way to manhandle people in. <laughs> Andy <Right>. says, <laughs> Becky, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a wonderful chat. It's been lovely to be on. And yes, I hope to see you both in Bristol at some point. Definitely. I'm sure I we can sort something out at some point. Yeah, I, I am long overdue a visit, so I shall give you a note when I'm down yeah. the line. Excellent. Make a central yes. next year as well. Absolutely. And uh, with any luck, maybe there'll be a prototype of a pop-up that I can show off. Yeah. <laughs> very, very awesome. All right. Uh, on that note, bye, folks. See you next Goodbye, week. Bye, folks. Bye.